0: Hello everybody and welcome once again to Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob.
1: And this is Terry. And we've got te- episode number 80 tonight, Terry. 80, nice round number. Four yeah. fifths of the way to 100.
0: 100, that's right. Remember, that 100th episode is going to be another top 25 for us. Yeah, music something or other. Yeah, musical artists. Oh it's going to be rough. That's across every genre, Yeah,
1: every uh, period. Yeah. Mine's such a cluster that it it's not even going to make sense. You're going to laugh at mine. Anybody listening's going to laugh at mine. They're like, how do you have this one and this one and this one? That's like all over the place. Stupid. Music
0: is such a fractured, uh, audience that, you know, everybody's musical tastes are even more different than their movie tastes. And so it's going to be interesting. I have a feeling that I'll have a couple of mine that you've never even heard of. And, uh, or if you've heard of, you barely know anything about, um, just because they're a part of my childhood type of a thing, and I've stuck with them. Of course, you know one band that's going to be on there. Yeah.
1: Metallica. <laughs> well, of course, yes. <laughs> Don't want to mention, yes. the band who shall not be named. Oh, no, stop. <laughs> they got another album coming out oh. in uh, <laughs> like two weeks. Oh, man. Somebody's getting the tent out of the garage, ready to go to Best Buy. <laughs> yeah. Be first on I'm just going to download it on iTunes. You know what's funny is I'm such a loyal fan is that I download the
0: albums on iTunes when they come out, and then I never listen to my downloads. I always listen to them on Spotify so that they get at least that little fraction of a cent that they get every time someone listens to them. <laughs> nice. So that's how loyal I am. <laughs> loyal AF. All right. <laughs> well, all right, let's get into this tonight. We've got some uh, some stuff to get to before. We are going to do a retro review this week of Sports Traditions. Yeah. Terry, this was a great idea.
1: Yeah, I uh, I really thought it was fun. Sarah had mentioned it because you know, we had been talking about something. I can't remember what, but she's like, yeah, you guys should do a podcast about that. That uh, that would be cool, you know, just trying to dive in and tell everybody where a lot of these major things came from and talk about it. So I like the idea, and here we are. All right. I like the idea, too. It's kind of fun
0: brainstorming, just thinking of things. and uh, So I think we're going to have a good time with this one tonight. But let's talk about some... Uh, let's do our Celebrity Corner, Terry. Right. It is episode 80. Let's check out some 80-year-old celebrities. These are the ones that are really starting to get up there. Sir Paul McCartney is 80 years old. Still touring, ain't he? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Indeed. Um, uh, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's 80? Uh, Harrison Ford is 80 years old. He was born July thirteenth, 1942. No kidding.
1: Indiana Jones yeah, so comes up next year.
0: I know. That's why Paul McCartney's still touring. Harrison Ford is still doing Indiana Jones.
1: Man, I guess they're that's just calling. Well. <laughs> I guess they're just calling it Indiana Jones, and that's it. No extra to it. Oh, uh, see, they're stealing from Sylvester Stallone,
0: right? Yep, because that final, you know, that Rambo number four was Rambo. Yep, just Rambo. Barbara Streisand is 80 years old. I can buy that. Paul Simon. Yeah. Carol King. Mm hmm. Joy Behar. Yeah. Mitch McConnell. They're all 80 years old. Tobin Bell. From Saw? Yes. Really? Is 80 years old. Jigsaw. Wayne
1: Newton. Oh, yeah. Newton. Gosh, that guy. Have you seen his face? Yeah, I don't think he's seen his own face in years. He looks weird.
0: That's that plastic surgery, man. People just refuse to grow old gracefully. uh, Speaking of which, this is off
1: subject, but speaking of, have you seen the new video of Madonna that she put on TikTok? I didn't see the video. I saw a couple screen caps of it, and yeah, she looks like an alien.
0: Yeah, she doesn't look like (laughs) the same person anymore. She doesn't even look like Madonna anymore. Barely looks human. Yeah. Uh, Art Garfunkel is 80 years old. All right. Yeah. Michael Eisner. Uh, Let's see who else. Anybody else really recognize? Not so much. Bo Bridges, Graham Nash. Bo Bridges. That's the name I've heard in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all those
1: celebrities are 80 years old. Hell. Congrats. All of them are
0: still active.
1: Yeah. Congrats on being old.
0: Right. Congrats on being old. Now let's congratulate these people all being born in 80. Their life started in 1980,
1: Terry. Okay, let's hear it. Kim Kardashian, yeah. where would we be without her? A lot happier, probably. <laughs> Nick Cannon? Boy, that guy's got kids all over the place, don't he? Yeah, he's fertile, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, like uh, Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Yeah, my dad would travel the country and have lots of kids all over the country. And he, he said, ever setting up franchises. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Channing Tatum was born in
0: 1980. All right. Your wife knows who he is. Eh. All wives know who he is. Yeah,
1: she's not a big Channing that Tatum movie, guy. Did she watch that movie? She did. She laughed the entire time. I'm just going to ask. that. She would probably have been fun to yeah. watch that
0: movie with because that kind of creeps her out, the guys dancing like that.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think I had to work early the next day. And she next day, she's like, yeah, I watched Magic Mike last night. I laughed from start to finish. That movie is so <laughs> gross and ridiculous.
0: <laughs> oh, Sarah, I love her. Mm. Ryan Gosling, Jake Gyllenhaal, Christina Aguilera, all born in 1980. All right. Let's see who else here. Uh, Kristen Bell. Yeah. uh, (laughs) T.I. Jeez, haven't heard that name in a while either. Yeah. Randy Orton, born in
1: 1980. He seems older than that. That's because he came in when he was so young, because he he debuted in the WWE probably in like 2002, I think. So he's been at it for, in, in the big leagues for 20 years now. yeah, Did you know he got dishonorably discharged from the Marines? Yeah, I feel like I heard that somewhere once.
0: Yeah. For going AWOL. Yeah, uh, well. He just wasn't into it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Re- uh Rebel Wilson is was born in 1980. Yep. Now here's one that I just can't reconcile in my head. Say, we just said Randy Orton was born in 1980. We got also the Miz was born in 80. Uh Giselle was born in eighty and soon to be a single mom, uh Zoe Deschanel, Swoozy, Ashanti. Let's see, Yeah, We're getting some Jessica Simpson, born in nineteen eighty. Christina Ricci, Dolph Ziggler, yeah, born in nineteen eighty. And then here's one: Macaulay Culkin is born in nineteen
1: eighty. Yeah, he's always been older than me, and it's 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 weird thinking about it because everybody knows him as a kid right he's just and he's got he kind of has a young he still looks he's got a baby face yeah he's done He still looks pretty young he looked kind of cracked out a little bit but yeah he looks young but he just he just was a popular as a kid and has done really nothing noteworthy as an adult except have a funny twitter handle (laughs) he uh
0: He has a life that most people could not even possibly begin to recognize how to even deal with. Yeah. He had to emancipate from his parents because they were stealing from him. Uh, He was, you know, everywhere. Can you imagine everywhere you go, everybody looks at you like you're a six-year-old? Yeah. That would be uh, unsettling.
1: A little bit. Yeah, we watched, uh, what was that? We watched Jacob's Ladder recently. You remember that movie from the early 90s? Tim Robbins' weird, (sighs) twisted movie. Yeah, I do. I don't remember what it's about to, but I remember watching it, and oh, that was strange. Yeah, it was a very odd, complicated movie. It's like, all right, never watching that again. But Macaulay Culkin was in that before Home Alone. I was just like, jeez, just what wasn't. Have yet. we
0: talked about this yet? Did you watch the Dahmer?
1: On uh, hey, we got the, about six or seven episodes, and we haven't done any more. This that's past right. We week. did talk about. Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. I could, I still haven't
0: finished it yet, but uh, yeah. So that was uh. Those are my celebrity corner, Terry. Right on, man. All right, well, let's uh, get into the rest of our business tonight. We've got a lot to get through tonight. Terry, you've got a lot of sports traditions you want to talk about. I do. We've got some stuff to get to. I have a fiery, hot, Rob's hot take tonight. Good. So,
1: uh, let's get into our rants and raves. Terry, I'm going to let you kick it off. All right. Oh, man. Absolutely depressing. Absolutely depressing. Cardinals just eliminated from the playoffs in two games. Two reasons I hate that. One, my team's out. And they had been having a great year, and a fairy tale send off for Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina would have been amazing. But then also, I just hate the fact that you can get eliminated in just two games. And that's it. Yeah, that's odd. I don't like the five game series. That's better than the one game elimination, which was true. BS a couple years ago when the Dodgers had an insane record, had a better record than everybody else in the National League. But could have still gotten eliminated one game because the Giants were like one game better than them and won the division. That was yeah. stupid. this year, it's three games, which, whatever. Uh, uh, I don't know. But they're out, and it's not the pitcher's fault because uh, Jose Quintana, bang, threw a gem. Two-hitter and no runs. Great. And then Ryan Helsley, the closer, came in in the eighth inning and just... Hand started bothering him or something, but he didn't say anything. The And also the manager for not recognizing it and pulling him right. sooner. And then it went from having a 2 nothing lead going into the ninth inning to losing the game 6-2. And before that, the Cardinals, if they had two-run lead or more going into the ninth inning, had not lost all season. Not once. Oh, wow. Undefeated. And then they lost well, that one. That's a shame. I'm, I feel bad for you, buddy. But, yeah, and then they couldn't get anything going on Saturday in game two either. Once again, the pitchers did fine. It was, uh, what's his face, Miles Michaelis and Jordan Montgomery kind of split the game in half, both starters. I mean, they gave up a run or two, but you know what? That's not bad. That's, that's good starting pitching. The offense just was lost. And it's unfortunate because you have – Two guys are in like the top three, top four uh, MVP voting right now. Just haven't been able to hit since uh, August. So, and that continued into the playoffs. And so, yeah, they're gone. Oh, well. Till next year. Bye, Pools. Bye, Molina. Pools' last at bat, he got a single. Just a hard hit line drive. So, okay. It's one way to go out. But it was a playoff hit. Sure. Not a regular season. Not an official stat Yeah. Yeah. I had one more rant this week, and Rob, you know okay. about this one, too. I lost my fantasy football this week <laughs> by 0.13 points. That is insane. Say that again. Zero. Say that again. I lost by 0.13 points. And to put that in perspective, I scored 145 and change points. And the person I played had 145 and 0.13 more points than I did. <laughs> I had I had to call you after I saw that. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's the closest margin I've ever seen. I think I have like the fourth highest point total, and I'm just I'm still three and two. Uh my other team, my other league's an absolute train wreck. I don't even know what's going on there. I just injuries, injuries, injuries. Oh, your starting running back gone. Quarterback gone. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm just putting all my bench players on. They're not panning out, so it's just that one's terrible. This one's not bad, but not great, so I'm hanging in there. Well, I'm saving my fantasy football team for my raves section. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Four and one. I know, baby. man. I know. They didn't look as good first week, couple weeks, but, man, they they really look good now. They've been pulling together,
0: and I had a couple of guys that I picked up off waiver wire that are um, – uh, well, at least two that are starting for me right now um one that i had that i had drafted who was on the injured reserve or he was on he was injured to start the year, so he's finally
1: gotten out and played a couple games but i took a flyer on geno smith and that's really paying off yeah geno smith has outplayed russell wilson by far he's definitely the better end of the deal so far and that's amazing yeah. for them uh all, Absolutely. all my starters exis- uh are i drafted them except for jimmy garoppolo and, yeah, all my other star, uh, bench players, they just haven't been panning out. Hardly worth a darn. They just sit there I and took be terrible. A, uh, I took a flyer on. I went a little
0: crazy on waiver wire this week. I'm like, I'm at six, and uh, the people above me aren't picking but anyway, so I'm just going nuts. I'm getting at a couple guys who weren't doing nothing. I got Taysom Hill. See, I, I have interest in him because he's he quietly is great. Yeah, so I, he's. What's, what's nice is you can plug him in as a tight end. Yeah. And so he could be playing
1: quarterback by the end of the year, and he could be having plugged in as a tight end. The only problem is for me, I would have to play him in the flex or in the offensive position, and because I have Travis Kelsey, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah, and I'd have to play him in the same spot because I've got Mark Andrews.
0: So I'm not gonna bench him, but uh, yeah. Well, I have a rant though. Before we get to that, we'll talk. I guess we'll come back to fantasy football just a little bit, or football in general for my raves. Here's my rant. This is unrelated to sports at all. Uh, I want to know what the ingredients are for Rice Krispies, Cocoa Krispies, Fruity Pebbles, because those things could be used to build nuclear fallout shelters. All you have to do is get them wet and let them dry on a bowl, and they are indestructible. <laughs>
1: Having a little trouble My there, My huh?
0: son... My son eats Cocoa Krispies, and you know he does. He dumps his bowl out and rinses out, puts in the sink. But there's ones that are up around the high part of the rim that he doesn't get to. I have to get a jackhammer to <laughs> scrape those off the bowl to try to get that bowl clean for the next time.
1: What are they putting in Rice Krispies, Terry? I don't know, but I had a bowl of Fruity Pebbles today, and it was delicious. But I don't know what's in there. But I agree. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt if they sit in the sink. I'm, I tell you, I rinse the heck out of that bowl after I'm done. Right, you I know have there's to. a few pieces in there because I know what it's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> it's gonna turn to concrete.
1: Yeah. So I feel that pain. That's a weird rant, right. but I feel that pain. <laughs>
0: it is a weird rant. I get that. I realize that,
1: but. I'm sitting there scrubbing with the
0: back of the scratch. Hey, stupid Cocoa Krispies. I'm just mad. So, Dante and I got to have a talk about what you actually do when you eat Cocoa Krispies. You basically wash the bowl as soon as you're done. Mm -hmm.
1: Otherwise, you have to throw it away. Yeah, you can throw the bowl away. Uh, I just get mad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Scrub that thing, get the sponge or brush Well, We don't have a dishwasher. We don't have a dishwasher. So, we do
0: all our dishes by hand. And that thing, just it just drives me nuts. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does, man. No, that's my only rant of the week because I had a good week this week, Terry. That's good. <laughs> and you might be surprised to hear me say that seeing how the Bears lost. But, man, that was a game they could have won. Yeah. They were right there with one of the better teams in the NFL right now, Minnesota Vikings. And Justin Fields actually looked like an NFL quarterback on Sunday. Yeah, he, was, he seemed like he had a little more
1: freedom out there.
0: Yeah, so that was a plus because that's the big thing. I don't care about this season. This season's a wash. It was a wash from from the beginning for me. I already knew we weren't going anywhere, but I wanted to see what we had in Justin Fields and see if he could live up to some of the hype, some of the expectations, and he looks like he's developing, and we're watching him grow into a a real, you know, starting caliber NFL quarterback right before our eyes. Well, so. I hope so. He's on my bench right now, so I could use him. <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath as far as like fantasy points yet, but if he gains enough confidence and they figure out what he does well, I think that it's you know because it's the NFL. You can go from worst to first. People do it all the time. Yeah, you get the right people on board and and make the right you know free agent pickups, a couple of good draft picks, and boom, you're right back in the mix of things. Yeah, the bye weeks are here now, so my his time to play is coming. <laughs> yep, I. uh it's true, but the Bears don't have a bye till like week. I like like week twelve. It's one of the last ones. Okay, so you've got you got time waiting for. Well, I guess he would have to fill out somebody else. Yeah, that's what here. I'm saying. <laughs> okay, Okay, never mind. L- Sorry, L-
1: Lamar Jackson. <laughs> when he goes out, he gets replaced by the stud Justin Fields.
0: Well, you know,
1: in week ten, it would have if that
0: one wide receiver on the Bears wouldn't have done the stupid block in the back. Justin Fields could have got any points because he had a fifty-four yard fifty-four yard touchdown run called back on a. Dumb, dumb play by a wide receiver, who's the same wide receiver who didn't just run out of bounds on the final drive, decided to cut back inside to get, like, three more yards, which he should have just gone out of bounds to stop the clock, and then he gets stripped. The guy just basically just rips the ball off hands and runs the other way and then slides down. That's it. Game over. That's cute. Yeah. And then, of course, my other rave is just that, like I said, four and one. That's stupid. Second place. Unbelievable. Yeah. I was so down on them after week one. I just—I always make this mistake, Terry. I make too much of a big deal out of week one in fantasy football. And I had guys that were not performing well. Week one is just a crapshoot, too, because you've lost that last preseason game. So it feels like week one is that final preseason game almost as far as development goes. And I've been, I've won four in a row since then.
1: Oh, I'm really happy for you. You know who else I'm really happy for Is Zach Martin Who lost his first game this week <laughs> I want to congratulate you Zach After tearing on my Cardinals Last week So I'm glad House Targaryen finally took a hit And went from first
0: to like where And then he's just exposed He was exposed Terry Oh yeah
1: He, played, he was, he was in front of you, t- you No know, get out of here Zach Yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> Because you know he's going to listen to this, too. So oh, yeah. Zach was exposed in fantasy football. The charade is over. The mirage has passed. The dream has died. <laughs> His lowest scoring team in our league. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no, yeah, That wasn't quite the lowest. But he's also faced the fewest points in our league. And he was talking big stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. He, uh... I think I've got him not
1: this week, but the following week. Is that right? Oh, I remember right. I hope I get him soon uh let's see here what did i had 145 points uh he had 124 so if zach if now you would have been owen five if you had played me every week <laughs> just so you know yeah all that stuff he came out came out last week zach
0: woke up and chose violence when he came on to the podcast just came out of the gate swinging so oh yeah zach if you're out there listening the fantasy team is not. It's just the worst 4-1 and one tip fantasy team of all time. <laughs> Last week, it was the worst 4-0 and o fantasy team
1: of all time. <laughs> yeah, he's going 0 for the rest of the season. Uh, you heard it yeah. here first.
0: <laughs> hey, you think Terry's going to cry about that? Not one bit. Not one bit.
1: <laughs> all right, Terry, do you have any other raves? Yes, I had two of them this week. One... Uh, Last Thursday I was at bowling I did terrible But I was okay with that Because I was watching Alex Who's been on our podcast a few times He was bowling against us on the other team Which was Hey that's my favorite night of the year When we get to bowl his team Because I like all those guys And we always have a great time and get loud and stupid It's great Uh, But Alex was on something that night I tell you what First game 2.45 I'm like dang Good game dude That was awesome comes back second game, boom, two forty four. <laughs> so wow, now he's got uh what that four hundred eighty nine four ninety four eighty nine, yeah four eighty nine at that point, and then he comes out the last game, first eleven strikes of the last game, and then misses on the last ball for a no. two ninety eight. Oh man, I tell you what, I was recording and oh man, I was like shaking for him. I was he's never had a 300. And from what he said, he doesn't think he's ever had a 700 either. But you add that up, 245, 244, 298, he got a 787 series. Wow. Yeah, he was on fire that night. So, shout out to you Alex. I was that was awesome. I I don't
0: – I remember telling people that I had bowled a, a 210 at one point, but I don't remember it happening. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something that I joked around and lied about, and then it became a part of my memory as a truth. I don't know. Because I barely crack 100
1: anytime time I – I bowl. mean, you bowling back in the day, you probably had a drink in your uh, – several drinks in you. You probably – Yeah, it may maybe, have been some some faulty scoring going on. Or or you just <laughs> forgot. <laughs> the, right. Uh, but yeah, so that was pretty cool. The other uh, rave I had, we went golfing this past Monday up at Deer Run in Silvis, Illinois, which is a TPC course, and it's where the John Deere Classic is played every year on the PGA Tour. Okay. Just an absolutely scenic, beautiful course, but at the same time, extremely difficult. And I tell you what, there were some shots I had that day that were just pristine, pristine, Perfect, beautiful, and oh, everybody just stared at it in awe. And then I had plenty of shots where they're like, oh, wh- where's that ball going? <laughs> I would take a 30, 40-degree shot to the left. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a hard course, but it's beautiful, and they're nice up there. The whole experience was really cool. And after that, we went to a place called the Steel Plow for dinner where I've I've heard about it from people at work. Burgers, outstanding there appetizer's great and i looked over the table next to us and they had these fancy milkshakes like this person had like a cookies and cream milkshake with like cookies and cream around the rim and then like a a slice of cheesecake on top of that and like cookies over here and other stuff sticking out they're like ten dollar shakes but man they look unreal like they're just pieces of art being delivered to the table did you get one no dude i had been having beers all day and i uh we got a milkshake. We, probably not the best idea. No, no, no. We we want appetizers and burgers, and we were not okay. disappointed. And everybody I've talked to who's ever been there always says it's great. <laughs> All right. So it sounds great. Yeah. Sti- now I'm craving a milkshake for some reason. Yeah. It's more up. It's not as far away from you. Uh, but steel plow. If you're ever up in Moline.
0: We never are. We never go anywhere.
1: Well, if you ever are.
0: We have four kids. <laughs> we don't go anywhere. <laughs> Terry, my life is very simple right now. I wake up, I go to work, I come home, I clean, I take care of the baby, I cook dinner, I do dishes, I put baby to bed, I go to bed.
1: But you get to and you do this.
0: And do this. That's once a week. So my daily routine is pretty set. We don't veer very far from it.
1: I understand. All right, what next you got for us, Terry? Well, you, normally we would uh, roll into the hero of the week, but this week I got an interesting topic and it's just kind of a trend I've noticed lately in the news. And there have been multiple stories of cheating in competitions lately. Have you been okay. reading, catching some of these headlines? Yes. First, we got a 19-year-old pro chess player uh, named Hans Neiman, who has been accused by the number one ranked player in the world, Magnus Carlsen, of cheating in their recent match in St. Louis. Neiman, who is playing black pieces defeated Carlson who was playing white pieces. Playing anyone that good and defeating them when you're playing black is almost impossible so getting a draw is usually considered a win for these professional chess players when they're playing as black Uh, Magnus Carlson came out and said this kid is cheating. I'm not sure how he's doing it but I know he's cheating because there's no way he should have beaten me. There's no way he should have known how to do that it, sh- is it just because it's the extra move? Because white goes first. Yeah, and white usually has that advantage in the long run. Typically, this kid's nineteen. He's been caught cheating online before and prize with prize money on the line. And they usually have like a little thing that recognizes that a chess engine is being used, where they can okay. plug in the moves and know where to go next. But they haven't caught in- caught anything yet. But. He's been accused of cheating because he beat the number one player in the world while he was being while he was playing as black, which is pretty insane. How do you cheat in a live competition? That's why I wonder too. And there's some really far out there theories with uh, as far as something stuck up uh, their backside yeah. and electronic pulses being sent to him to tell him uh, which way to move. I don't, I don't get, I swear to God, I read that and they, it holds a little weight too, which is kind of funny because they went to a long explanation of how it totally could be plausible. <laughs> plausible might be stretching it a little bit for that kind of a thing. I know. I'm I'm just saying what I read, man. <laughs> but okay. uh, it. I, it's not just one place. That story has been shared along several different sites. I've read about it a little bit here lately, and I thought it was amusing. A little bit of drama and intrigue from the world of competitive chess. That doesn't happen very often. Exactly. So, yeah, they they got to do something to spark up some attention. Uh, The next one you probably saw as well. Robbie Jade Liu is being accused of cheating in a very high-stakes game of poker. Yes, I saw the video on this one. Okay, so you know. She was holding Jack 4 off suit. Her opponent, Garrett Adelstein, had a seven and eight of clubs. The flop came out, and I think it was a nine and ten of clubs were out there too. So Adelstein's got a shot at a straight, a straight flush, flush, or a straight flush. So yeah. uh, he felt comfortable betting. He he didn't have a great hand to start with, but now he's seen the flop. He's got a chance here, so he's gonna he's gonna bet a little. So. After the flop, uh, Robbie J. Lou, she looked at her hand. She still got jack high. That's all she's got in her hand. Nothing else, nothing more. And so he bets, she calls. Not really all that suspicious. But then the flop comes out, and it doesn't really help either of them. And he bets like 10000 And she thinks about it for a minute and raises them. Neither one of them has gotten their hand improved. But she calls and raises with only a jack high in her hand. Keep in mind, he could have a queen, king, or an ace, and she's calling with a jack high. And then finally he turns around and says, all right, I'm all in. Because he has a good chance of getting that last card. It could be a six, right? a jack, uh, another club, any of those things, and he'd win. Well, she... Saw that he went all in and thought about it for a while. Called him for two hundred eighty-nine thousand dollars. <laughs> called him. An experienced pro player, even semi-experienced, should know that is so stupid to call that much money when and put that much of your money on the line when you have crap. If he right. pushes you all in, you need to say okay. You're, here's your money. You win. Sorry, I'm not stupid. I'm not gonna wait. Risk all my money. Well, the river card comes out, doesn't help either of them again. So she just beat him because she has a jack high. He's got a 7 and 8. He couldn't make the flush or a straight or even a pair, and neither could she. And she won with a jack high, which any experienced poker player will tell you that's, that's not right. Anybody that's good enough to be playing at that table should not be doing that unless they're cheating. So there's a... Well, now, I'm going to play devil's advocate
0: on this one because I saw the same story. I watched the video. The look on the guy's face is priceless. He's like, what's going on here? He could not believe. And then he's trying to ask her her thought process. And this is where a lot of people are coming at this lady. Well, we should point out, too, that she's a millionaire. Okay, so she's she's loaded. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so her response is she started trying to to, like, make, you know, talk poker, you know strategy or skill or whatever and 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 justify her thinking um and then she finally i think she was here's she finally comes around as you know was basically to the extent of i was just hoping to get lucky um Mm -hmm. and uh so no you don't hope to get lucky with a jack high period but you know like i'm saying she she may have that that may have been what she was actually doing is she's rich enough to not really fear losing two hundred eighty thousand dollars which, if you you know, I don't know how many millions is millionaire, I guess it could go all the way up to a billion before you're a billionaire, yeah, so she could be super loaded, and just this is just her thrill, this is what she does for for kicks, but I think what happened was is she got she knew she'd made a dumb play and she got away with it, and what happened is that she's trying to then make herself sound smarter than she really is, and that's what got her in trouble, I believe I don't know, man, I don't know how. You cheat that unless
1: you're paying off the dealer. The dealer, uh, somebody walking around the table, somebody that worked there, somehow got eyes on her, has something set up, and is tipping her off. I don't know, but it's just... It's hard and to they believe. And then about
0: coming to find out, she offered to give him the money back.
1: Yeah, I heard that too. Which that's a little
0: suspicious. Uh, I mean, I, I just stood up for her, but that is a little suspicious. Fine, when take your money to back. Get back.
1: Well, yeah, they, got, they so. got all the big cheating, uh, companies that can detect it and looking into it. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully she is just, you know, just some, you know, rich
0: housewife or whatever that she is. Yeah. Uh, and then she's just blowing hubby's money and she just got away with something and she just wants to be cool and be respected and make her own way. Maybe. I don't know. I'm psychoanalyzing somebody I've never spoke to. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) So.
1: I say she was doing yeah, something. Yeah, that, that
0: was pretty. That was an interesting video. I did watch that one.
1: Yeah, and you think I was done because we had two long explanations here, but I got a third one.
0: <laughs> I'm hoping it's the one I think it is because I have to, I have a I have something to add to that. Okay, and I don't even know what it is
1: yet. What is I it? I hope it is too the walleye fishing tournament. Yes. All right. Jacob Runyon and Chase Comiskey Ch- yeah Chase Comiskey were found to be stuffing lead weights into their fish in an attempt to make their fish heavier and win the tournament. The tournament director thought the fish looked weird and cut them open and lead weights were found inside. Police were called and the pair were indicted on charges of cheating, attempted grand theft, and possessing criminal tools, all felonies. Yes.
0: And uh, what I would read too was that the, the guys were like, the, they had the same amount of fish, whatever, and the fish looked the same size. And it was such a huge drastic difference in weight that it all t- oh, the alarm bells went off. These guys got greedy. Uh, Apparently, this is something they've done before. They've been accused of cheating before. And get this, Terry. Yeah. I deliver mail in a little podunk town in north central Illinois that uh, most people outside of 35 miles away from it have never heard of. Neponset, Illinois. And uh, there's no stoplights. There's no... There's one gas station... In town, and then there's a Martin there's a Martin manufacturing uh plant for nobody that lives in town <laughs> for people that work other places. Anyway, there's nothing in Deponsit. Blink and you miss it. But there is one guy who lives there who collects classic fishing lures. Yeah. And he's constantly getting packages in the mail, and they're a value to him. So he's you know, he's he's on top of it. He tracks them and goes, hey, you know, when are they coming rob? I'm expecting one this week. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll put it, make sure you get it. And uh, but I asked him. He was in the morning after I'd heard about it. And I said, "Hey, <clears throat> with all these fishing lures, do you follow like the fishing shows and everything? Did you hear about these two guys?" And he went off. He knows a guy that has is a professional fisherman who uh, has fished against these guys. Oh, really? He's been involved in tournaments that they've won, and he told me that the one guy makes his living as like a boat tour guide for fishing spots. Mm-hmm. And the state just revoked his license to operate. He just lost his job, really, his livelihood, everything. Really, he's like these guys are done. They're they're like completely done. People are out for blood with these two because they've been doing this before. There's other competitions they've won and evidently cheated people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah,
1: and these lead weights—they're not small either. They're like the size of the palm of your hand. They're they're good-sized weights that they're stuffing into these fish. Ridiculous. Yeah, then. What happened was, from what I've read,
0: and those they did just got greedy. Yeah, and uh, and they were because they, the, the weight difference was so drastic that you're yeah. like looking at the same, you know, hauls, and you're like these two, these fish all look the same size. How are these so much heavier?
1: Yeah, yeah The The uh, director said they looked weird, as well yeah. in shape. <laughs> yeah, so that's just. Uh,
0: I wonder if it was one of those comedic situations where they both thought that it was their turn to stuff the fish, and so they both did it. <laughs>
1: Oh, jeez. Anyways, those are my interesting topic of the week. <laughs> yeah, cheaters. That was our cheater corner. Well, let's move from cheaters
0: to non-cheaters and good people. Go from trash to
1: treasure with our Todd Beamer Hero of the Week. Hit us up, Terry. All right, we got Doran Smith and David Squalante. They are an American couple, and they're being hailed as heroes after they saved babies From a burning nursery in Spain. Like many recent married couples, Doran Smith and David Scolante had to wait over two years before going on their honeymoon in Barcelona, Spain, due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Finally, on their honeymoon, the Bristol-Rhode Island couple decided to take a walk to a scenic Barcelona park and enjoy a tour on what they thought would be an otherwise uneventful day. It was during their walk that Smith said she noticed something amiss in a nearby building. Women were running panicked out of of it and into the street. She said, I saw a flame coming out of the doorway next to the door that these women had come out of. So I said, Oh my God, there's a fire. After Smith called attention to the fire, uh, her new husband, Squalante said instinct just took over and the newlywed, eh, newlywed ran into the building without a second thought not realizing that he was running into a nursery filled with sleeping babies. Oh my god. Squalante said I found myself looking at fifteen twenty babies sleeping and immediately just kind of lined everybody up. We started grabbing them and putting them into cribs. Squalante said that no one inside the nursery spoke English. The couple, along with other bystanders and good Samaritans who pitched in to help save the babies, worked quickly to move all the young children out of the nursery as the room filled with smoke from what appeared to be an electrical fire. Uh, uh, She said, we were just literally taking cribs with a few kids in them and rolling them across the street to the high school lobby. Wow. Oh my gosh. Talk about a crazy story to have for the rest of your life. Yeah, what would you guys do on your honeymoon? Oh yeah, we saved bunch of kids from a burning fire
0: (laughs) that's insane that is crazy wow thank god they were you know
1: there and willing to act and yeah uh, just ran in there and took babies out it's insane awesome awesome that is amazing that is hero stuff right there for sure all right well i don't know how you top that I don't. But let's see. Did anybody? Did anybody in Guinness do anything that even comes close to that? Yeah, dude that we've talked about before did it again. David David Rush, at it again. <laughs> six? No, no, no. Did no, he get six? M&Ms? No, this is the guy from Idaho that keeps breaking all these different records. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he's been mentioned on the podcast multiple times, and now he's got another. Hey, he said it was a lesson in pain breaking a Guinness Uh, World Record for longest duration, balancing a guitar on the chin. He has broken uh, nearly 250 Guinness records to promote STEM education. Uh, He previously held the same record and aimed to recapture it by balancing for 1 hour, 12 minutes, and 40 seconds. He said he was dismayed to then learn the record had already been beaten with a time of one hour thirteen minutes and twenty five seconds, invalidating his attempt by just forty five seconds. He managed to beat the newest record set by Spanish man Christian Roberto Lopez Rodriguez, with a time say that again yeah, right uh, with a time of one hour and thirty five minutes. So yeah, he he totally t- one hour and thirty five
0: minutes balancing a guitar on your chin. Yeah. Now have you seen a picture of it? I've seen a picture of it. Yeah. Okay, is he is it sideways or straight up and down? And the big part's up high. So yeah, the So he's balancing on the head of the guitar yeah. with the body in the air. Yeah, exactly. Well that's even harder. Yeah.
1: The serial record breaker said he ended the attempt because the pain was too great and I took the guitar off my chin. That was a lesson in pain. All right. Yeah, that's one that one I don't think I'll ever break. I like talking about this guy though, he just keeps going for it. He's just it's like it's He's inspiring. Yes. We're doing it, Rob. We've got to do. It. I still think
0: we. I think the snowball one might have some legs. Yeah. Uh, and if nobody's attempted that, then we could both stand out there, and this would be the the most snowballs received by a duo. And <laughs> or they could just divide the number of snowballs, and we would tithe for the record. I'm
1: gonna set a reminder to look into it tomorrow when I get home from work. <laughs> so,
0: all right. Well, let's move on from there. I have a. I have a hot take today, Terry. I really do. It's uh, uh, a big one and kind of serious, actually. But I, this is one of those that I could morph into a uh, United States of Rob, but it would just it wouldn't fit. But this is uh, this is my hot take of the week. And Terry, I want to read you something before I get into it. And I think once I start reading this, you're probably going to guess roughly where I'm going. Okay. As soon as I start, as soon as I get into this story, two children were killed and their mother was hospitalized after the family's two pit bulls attacked them outside their family home in Tennessee, authorities said. Uh, Family members say Christy Jane Bernard, 30, suffered multiple injuries when she tried to pull the dogs off her five-month-old son, Hollisteen, and two-year-old daughter, Lily Jane, who were killed. In the attack, she put her body on top of Lily's to try and protect her after the attack started. Both, starg- both dogs started attacking her while she lay on Lily. The attack lasted 10
1: minutes. I've had this conversation with several people now, including my wife, some people at work, and my friends. And it's just come up naturally, and it's just crazy that this happened. But let's hear your hot yeah, take. Yeah,
0: here's my hot take. My hot take is that pit bulls should be outlawed. Okay. They should not be available for uh, personal pets. Um, if I had my way, you know my feeling on pets, I'd euthanize every pit bull in the country <laughs> um, without, without blinking an eye. But obviously that's not why I get to make those decisions. But I do believe that this sh- that there's they should no longer be allowed as pets. They are a menace. Um, they serve no purpose unique to them that other dog breeds can't serve. And I pulled up some stats. Uh, that I wanted to tell you about to, to kind of uh, bolster what my uh, opinion is. And here's the thing. In a 15-year period, let's see. Yeah, over a 15-year period there was, I think, finished up in 2016, the study was finished, there were... Pit bulls accounted for 65.6% of all deaths from dog attacks. 65% of the times people were killed by a dog, it was because of a pit bull. In that 15-year period, there was 284 pit um, bull-involved deaths. Um, The only one that even comes close to them is a Rottweiler, and they account for 10%. That's how far above every other breed a pit bull is. Now, arguments are made about which dogs bite the most. Okay, that's that's fine. The chihuahuas, poodles are known for biting and nipping at people. The difference is that when a pit bull goes at you, there's a good chance you're gonna die. Yeah. Especially if you're a kid or if you're elderly or small of stature. Yeah. Uh the difference between a pit bull biting you and a poodle biting you should not have to be explained to any rational
1: human being i've had that argument placed before me before oh chihuahuas are way more aggressive i'm like you know what they may be more aggressive but look at the pounds per square inch of force that a pit bull is putting on you the damage it can do we had a trauma come in recently one of the people i was talking to about this she is a little old lady she had probably like a four inch bite taken out of her leg from a pit bull, it was four like four inches from the outside of her skin in, and just round round that out, and that was how big of a chunk was taken out of her leg. They are oh, yeah. they just bite down and shake like an alligator and, and, until they're through.
0: They are they, people say they're not a domesticated breed. They're a breed that is domesticated until it does not suit their purposes, and something in that primal brain of theirs that switch gets flipped, and they the couple. That who
1: just lost these two kids yeah, had had those dogs for eight years I saw that. eight years but yeah they catch a smell something doesn't work just right they're getting to be older dogs their brains are starting to change if something makes them mad or just something triggers like you said it just takes that and they're they're done like our neighbors had pit bulls and they go on vacations or whatnot and they asked if I could take them out while they're gone. I'm like, "Okay, no problem. I'll do it." Ruby's like, "Can I come with? Can I come with?" I'm like, "No. You're going to stay right here while I go over there." <laughs> Cuz they I don't want you going up to them unless the owner is right next to them holding them. <laughs> okay? Uh and I take them out, they were lovely dogs. They were sweet dogs, but at the same time, they're pit bulls and they could snap at any moment, and I I was cautious with them. I didn't get rough with them. I played with them a little bit, but it just takes that one time, like you said, and they can snap. And what well, any dog can snap. Let's let's be real here. But when this dog snaps, it's game. And it, watch out because they are stocky, strong dogs. They're not weak dogs. They are strong dogs with just the strongest jaw. And yeah, yeah. it's it's bad news. I'm so tired of reading these stories about
0: uh, kids getting killed by and people getting killed by pit bulls. It's a completely unnecessary and uh, and a absolutely 100% avoidable thing. You simply outlaw the dogs. They're not fit for domesticated uh, pets. They're just not. Yeah. You can, you can't give me a reason why you need a pit bull other than a status symbol type of a thing. Yeah, there's nothing special about no. them. They're not cute and cuddly. They're not cute. They don't dogs. go fetch. Well, they do. It's just, but. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's not like I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing you can do with a pit bull that you can't do
1: with another breed. Right, and and people that ha- there's nothing unique about them other than that they're killers. And people that have them are, are dog lovers that defend them. They always say it's all about how they are raised. I'm sorry, it's a dog. It's instinct. It's not how they were raised. Yes, I'm sure you could train one to be meaner and attack more, but at the same time, this stuff is instinct and. I it's frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. It's it's incredibly frustrating, and it should be incredibly
0: illegal. And I, you know, as I said, I could have morphed this into the United States of Rob. You can just consider an an honorary member of that because I would outlaw pit bulls. You're not allowed to have lions and tigers and cougars as pets unless you're Mike Tyson. Um, you know, you, the average person just doesn't have those kind of exotic animals because those kind of exotic animals cannot be tamed you know they just you, there's something in them there's the, they're they're animals yeah i mean it could have been something as so simple as that girl just tried to grab something that was in his mouth the two-year-old yeah and it just that triggered a response and that dog's brain and instinct took over you know and then all this selective breeding that led to the creation of that line of dogs that's another thing too they're man-made It's not a breed that occurred naturally in nature, and we decided to pick it out and and domesticate it. They've been bred. They were bred specifically and selectively to produce the characteristics that they have now. Probably, I can't prove this. I don't have data on this, but if I'm trying to imagine why somebody would engineer pit bulls, it's probably for dog fighting. Um, It could have been for something else. I don't know. But what I'm saying is they're completely unnecessary. And the nightmare that those two parents are going through right now, especially that mother. Mm-hmm. She's conscious now. As of today, I read she's conscious and she's aware of what happened. And she, the, the report literally said she had stitches too many to count yeah. had to be put into her. She's going to face a life of disfigurement herself and the visual memory of watching her children mauled by what was the family pets?
1: I can't even imagine what kind of damage it's done. It's gonna do mentally to her. It destroys a person. It destroys a person for no reason. Yeah, for no reason. And yeah, if you're gonna have them, I don't think kids should be around them. And if you put, take them around kids, you should get fined or something. I've already been kind of a
0: jerk when I've seen people with pit bulls walking them. I will purposely make sure that they know that I'm angry with them for walking a pit bull past my house. I don't get into verbal altercations with them or not, but I'll stand there, make my kids eat, and I'll stare them down, eyeball those people the whole way past so they don't feel welcome next to where I live. That's all strongly. And after this story, too, this is like the last straw because I, I started thinking about the horror that that woman has to live with for the rest of her life. You know, and I mean, you you would hope, you know, you know and the husband who just went to work, like every other day he's ever done, you know, They've had these dogs for eight years. No thought even would have crossed his mind to think that his kids were in danger, and to come home to find what he would have found, and and that situation. And you know, I'm not saying he discovered it, but to have to come home after knowing what happened. Uh, how do you? I don't know how you recover from that. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And it's unnecessary. And I think they should be banned. And I hope and support anybody who makes who makes an effort to ban pit bull ownership across the board. No exceptions. I don't care if you have kids or don't have kids. I don't care if you've got a 20-foot fence in the yard. They should be illegal to
1: own. Yeah. And if I had my way, they'd all be dead. This is, once again, that you you tell somebody that they shouldn't do it, they're going to do it. Uh, And and they'll, they'll defend it till the day they die. No matter how many mistakes and how stupid Trump is, no matter how much pit bulls are terrible, once you tell them that it's a bad idea... They will defend it forever and find and nitpick every little word that comes out of your mouth from saying, yeah, but, and then give you a totally non-doesn't-make-any-sense argument compared to what it's you're saying. It's kind a of straw man argument. It's like you guys are missing the fact of how strong they are and how deadly they can be on a whim. Yep. And that's it.
0: All it takes is something happen. Yep. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my hot take, Terry. All right, man. Yeah. Uh, now, out of curiosity, I know you're a pet lover. I'm not a pet lover, so I realize I probably carry a little bit of bias yeah. into this uh, into this take that maybe other people don't other people don't have. You guys are pet lovers. You love your dogs absolutely. And uh, I know Sarah. I don't remember Sarah. I seem to remember sometime in the past having a conversation. I will I will, re- I will tell balls. you
1: this story right now. All right, so I had just started going back to work after Ruby was born. Sarah was still at home on maternity leave, and we had one of those little swings that you put them in, and it just automatically rocks them back and forth. Anyways, it was right next to our door; like you could open the door just fine, and the swing was right next to it. Okay. Uh, at that time, we were dog sitting for a friend of ours. Chihuahua was he? Not, was he a chihuahua? He wasn't a chihuahua. Was he? I mean, maybe it was Parchwa. I can't remember what he was. Anyways, small dog. Little dog. Probably yeah. six, seven pounds. Anyway, Sarah, at like 6.30 in the morning, takes him out to, in, out front on a leash, go to the bathroom, whatever, bring him back inside. While she's out there, a dog that she sees two houses do- down has spotted this little tiny dog and just takes off running towards our house. Sarah runs like tries to get the dog into the house, and that dog noticed our the dog we were watching noticed ran inside the house. And this pit bull, had, before Sarah could even get the door closed, had already run in the house. Was chasing this dog down our hallway, and that dog our the dog we were watching fortunately just ran right under the bed, pooping the whole way down the hallway, which oh, scared geez. the living <laughs> crap out of him, literally. And that pit bull uh, may have just wanted to play. Maybe we don't know. But anyways, the late the owner comes walking, like, trying to hurry over to our house saying, It's okay, he's not going to buy, he's not going to buy. Uh, And then she said, and Sarah's like, Come get your dog! And she's like, yeah, Why do you have your door open? Uh, It's my freaking door! I can have it open at any time I feel like it! And not expect a, your dog to run into my house! Don't even know these people yet. We're new to the neighborhood still. And we were just, like, th- running through our house 630 in the morning. Not even that awake yet. And Right. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. It's just stupid. But, yeah, <laughs> so our neighbors had two of them. They had, I think, two of them. And then one's the other direction, a few houses down, had one as well. It was like, geez, we can't. We're just surrounded by pit bulls. Now the neighbor our next door neighbors left the ones two houses down i haven't seen those dogs since thank god uh but then we got crazy dalmatian two houses the other direction now that's <laughs> psychotic yeah, it's
0: it's it's well known uh among people who know me that i'm not a fan of pets i don't like having pets i don't want to i don't care if everybody else have pets i just don't like pets i i find them to be an annoyance and uh and so I'm, I know I'm in the minority on that opinion uh, in the world. But, uh, yeah, if somebody, if somebody else's dog comes to my house, uh, I'm not a gun owner. So the dog is probably safe. But if I was not a gun owner and a dog comes tearing through my house at 6.30 on a Saturday morning, chances are the police are going to be at my house fairly soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so that's – uh. That that was my hot take and um, kind of a tragic one. Yeah, but we're going to move away from that because we're going to talk about stuff that means absolutely nothing, but carries with it the power of nostalgia and tradition, two of the most powerful motivators and emotions in the world. Yes, and we're talking about sports traditions. Indeed, things that we do that we've done, and most of them we've
1: forgotten why we started doing them in the first place. And that these are great. I, I had a blast doing this. I I was researching a lot of these, and a lot of them I didn't ha- had no idea why, how, or why they started. So, this was fun looking up all this stuff. And I'll lead us off with one of the most well-known traditions in sports. Period, and that is the seventh inning stretch in baseball.
0: All right, let's hear about the the. Now I have in my head. A, what I consider to be it's like a it's a one of those files you have filed away like I don't know where it came from I don't know I don't know if I trust the source of it but I want to see now if the truth of it is what I thought and I'll let you
1: know what my uh memory was after you tell it All right the the website I got this from is going to surprise you courtesy of usps.com What? Right. <laughs> They they have had an article on their website about the seventh-inning stretch. I was surprised, too. No I was kidding. Surprised. Uh, That's hilarious. Right. The seventh-inning stretch is a time-honored baseball custom in which the fans ritualistically stand and stretch before their team comes to bat in the seventh inning. This is done not only to relieve stiff muscles due to sitting the previous sit- six innings, but perhaps also to bring luck to one's team. An association with a number seven and good luck, maybe? I don't know. Unfortunately, the exact origin uh, of the custom is lost in the earliest days of baseball. Uh, Baseball historian Dan Daniel is quoted by Xander Hollander of baseball lingo in 1967. It probably originated as an expression of fatigue and tedium, which seems to explain why the stretch comes late in the game instead of at the halfway point. The earliest reference that has surfaced appears in an 1869 letter from Harry Wright of the Cincinnati Red Stockings to a friend. He said, quote, The spectators all arise between halves of the seventh inning, extend their legs and arms, and sometimes walk about. In so doing, they enjoy the relief afforded by relaxation from a long posture upon hard benches. The most popular story of its origin is also the most colorful, It was created in 1910 when President William Howard Taft, on a visit to Pittsburgh, went to a baseball game and stood up to stretch in the seventh inning. The crowd, thinking the chief executive was about to leave, stood up out of respect for the office. The term itself can be traced back no further than 1920, however. Okay, yeah, that's
0: the one that I heard. I didn't remember the president's name. I remember that it was a a president had stood up at that point, and everybody followed suit. And kind of like how uh, Handel's Messiah Chorus, everybody has become a tradition, they just all stand. It all was because the king was so moved by the chorus of Handel's Messiah that he stood up, and the whole court stood up with him, and then it became a tradition. So it's kind of like an Americanized Americanized version of that story yep. uh, with something that's far less
1: uh, holy
0: than, than, you know, The handles Messiah.
1: Yeah, you can't go to any baseball game anywhere in the nation right now, uh, Major League, that they don't place. Take me out to the ball game during the seventh inning stretch. So, which do you believe? uh, Well, I mean, they said that there was this letter from 1869. So, I don't know. Maybe that one's the actual origin. I like the President Howard Taft one because I thought that was great. That was cool. That they—it's a good story to go along with it.
0: As I've just talked about its relation, I think that the part it's most, the best evidence against it is exactly because it sounds so much like the reason why people stand up for Handel's Messiah. So that would be the, the that would be the biggest knock against it. That it may have obviously been something that was co-opted. Yeah, and
1: used. It, so, and you know what's funny? I didn't, I didn't go in to take me out to the ball game, which is kind of frustrating because I wish I would have looked more into that because it goes right along with it. When did they start singing that? But uh, I, don't know, I can look right now. When did they start singing? Take me out to while well, while you're looking that up.
0: I, I do like the new tradition in Chicago that has taken place since uh, since Harry Carey died, is that they will always they'll often play. Video of him singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and then have guest singers oh, yeah. on other games too. So that's always, I've always appreciated yeah, that. His
1: slurred way he talked was just, it's <laughs> legendary. legendary. Yeah, and it was so unique. That's what made him so special. And from what I'm reading here, it goes back to 1976 during Carey's uh, tenure with the White Sox. So okay. there you go.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize he was the one that started that. That's awesome. Yeah. How about that? Harry Carey.
1: While we're on the subject of baseball, I do have another thing that is a tradition in, at every major league stadium, every game, all throughout the year, into the playoffs and into the World Series. And that is the ceremonial first pitch. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So the practice of having the ceremonial first pitch at baseball games dates all the way back to 1890. Back then, they would have a locally notable individual like the mayor or the governor throw out the first pitch. Back then, they would throw from the grandstands to a player on the field from the home team. It wasn't until the 1980s when Ronald Reagan threw the pitch while standing in front of the pitcher's mound. Really? Yes. I was surprised by that one. Ronald Reagan in the nineteen eighties was the one that got that going. That's insane! I would have never guessed that that was that new of a tradition. But you remember watching, uh, let's see, your Naked Gun, the first one, and yeah. they have the queen throw out the first pitch. Where does she throw it from? Right, she throws it from the state from the bleachers. And I just I thought of that one because I'm thinking of any other yeah. times, but that was in the late eighties. Maybe it has something. Maybe that was common to throw it from there before. And I'd seen it in old movies where they have, like, oh, in the 40s, they throw out the first pitch from the bleachers. But, yeah, apparently it was the 80s. Ronald Reagan did it. Uh, it's been done ever since. Gipper. It's been done ever since, every stadium, all year long. Almost every game, yeah. yeah. Some players opt to throw from on top of the pitcher ma- pitcher's mound instead of front of it, in front of it, like most people do. And one very, very memorable instance of this you probably know, was when President George W. Bush took the mound before Game 3 of the 2001 World Series. Because America, especially New York, was still recovering the, from the 9-11 attacks and national pr- pride was at an extreme high. Yeah. And to see our president take the mound was a big moment for fans and baseball fans all over the country. I don't remember. Did he get that thing across the plate or did it bounce? He stepped onto the mound wearing a bulletproof vest, and had a Secret Service agent nearby, disguised as an umpire. He threw a perfect strike from That's the, from thought. the rubber, and a lot of people took this as like a symbolic meaning here that America won't back down during the scary time in our national history. It was a really cool moment. It was just everybody was cheering him, just like it was this huge, giant moment. He steps out there without even thinking twice, just right down the middle. And people, anybody that knows about Bush's history knows he was he was an athletic individual. So I mean, it was and he owned a baseball. Yeah, it wasn't unusual to find out that he could throw a ball, but it was still Al Gore's not making that pitch, nor (laughs) is Fifty Cent. That's what I was
0: gonna bring up. I was hoping you would bring it up because I love that pitch. That, that I was gonna ask you what's your favorite celebrity first pitch, and mine is Fifty Cent, hands down, because it's so bad. It looks like he's It just looks like he, looks like his arm fell
1: off or something, and just went crazy. It's that's insane how uh, bad that. Throw another was. one's Carly Rae Jepsen, who's a singer, who just basically <laughs> threw yeah. <it> dirt <laughs> like ten feet in front of her <laughs> or in the grass. I mean. <laughs> uh there's there's been some good ones out there i wish i would have looked into more of them but all right terry here's the question the follow-up question yes
0: for some reason you do something like are we getting the guinness world the guinness book of world records for how many times you can be hit by a snowball in one minute time and that so impresses the cardinals organization That they invite you down to St. Louis, to Bush Stadium, to throw out the ceremonial first pitch on some random day in July. Terry, you now have a decision to make in front of, how many does Bush seat? Uh, They average about 42,000. Okay, so you have a decision to make now in front of 42,000 people. Are you standing on the grass?
1: Or are you going up on the Dude, mound? Dude, I'm true baseball all the way. I'm standing on the mound. I'm going to practice before I get there for sure. <laughs> and I'm going to go to a ball diamond that's got a mound and not just a flat ground. I'm, I'll go right. up to the high school and stand on that mound and practice throwing over the plate. <laughs> just make sure I got it good and I can do it. And I think they got to have something in the dugouts for people who want to throw beforehand. Like right behind the dugouts. But no. I'm definitely standing on the Look, rubber. I-
0: all right, what kind of odds do you give yourself that you can get it over the plate? Not necessarily a strike, but that it doesn't bounce before home plate.
1: Uh dude, I I'd say I'm going to 90 95% chance I'm going to get it to him, no problem. Okay. I can throw All a right, ball. A I mean, I can I can throw a ball. I mean, it's not going to be perfectly accurate, but uh, it's going to be to the guy probably in his chest or close All to right. it.
0: I have about a 50% confidence that I would get that ball across the plate. I think it would be more like uh, Rick Vaughn from Wild Thing. I think it would just go – I don't have – I'm not scared that I couldn't throw the ball that far, but I've got a feeling I'd be so amped up that it would be like I'd take out the mascot (laughs) and uh, something along those lines. So uh,
1: I don't know. I'd be a little more nervous. But like you, I would practice. Yeah, I definitely would do it. I would love the opportunity. And they they have people, local people that – uh do something nice for the community they in charge of the boys and girls club of st louis and runs right. like three different centers we invite them out here to celebrate uh, thank you for coming it's cool and they get to have that moment they get to throw to or molina or something that was always a big deal for anybody that got a chance to do that and of course they'd have celebrities come out too right uh like 50 cents yeah The World Series, I went to. They had Bob Gibson, like Stan Musial, and all these guys. All these big Hall of Famers out there throwing. It was pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. I have a baseball one related, Terry. Hit me. A baseball related one. We'll switch from a. This is a little bit more localized, and obviously because I'm a Cubs fan. Sure. Um,. Many people are familiar, especially after the Cubs run through 2016 to the World Series, that there's a tradition in Chicago of fly the W, which means the white flag with the blue W on it that signifies a win. Uh, The uh, origin of this uh, came beginning in 37 and 38, a flag bearing the W would be raised over the scoreboard following a Cubs win while a flag with the letter L would fly if the Cubs lost. It began as a way for Wrigley Field staff to let Chicagoans know the result of that day's Cubs game, whether they're passing by the stadium, on foot, or traveling, or on public transit. Before fans could check the internet, social media, or even a transistor radio, the raised flag was their way of finding out the Cubs' fate that day. Right after a win by the Cubs at Wrigley Field, the white flag with blue W is raised above the center field scoreboard. The next morning, the flag is taken down during morning commute hours, which give all Cubs fans the chance to know if their favorite Cubbies have won the game.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would not want to see the L up there. I would just, just, just right. have a normal flag, and then if you don't see a W up there, we lost. I don't. Yeah, L. <laughs> oh, that that that's great. I, I thank you for letting you, me know that. I that made my day now.
0: Yeah, you know the Cubs' history. That that L flag has been flown a lot. <laughs> so sadly, that I don't know if they still fly the L.
1: That's a question to look up someday.
0: Yeah, I just I just it's the.
1: Let me see if he, it's
0: I don't I would look for the answer, and I don't think. Um, it would it, I've ever seen it when I lived in Chicago I would take the L uh, a lot of times up past Wrigley just because to look at Wrigley and I don't remember ever seeing the L flag up there but anyway the W flag has definitely become a Chicago thing along the lines of like the Pittsburgh terrible towel and uh, the cheese heads in Wisconsin yep. so it's become a staple of Chicago sports It's and uh, especially after the World Series victory I have one that, was hang, that hangs in my office normally um, my office has been relocated, so there's no place to hang the W flag. But I have a W flag myself. And uh, I think it's one of those little pieces of Chicago lore
1: that uh, makes it unique. So you said 1937? It was 37 and 38. Wow. that's wild. I, I didn't realize it had been that long-standing of a tradition. I thought it was something that was relatively new. So And the thing too, it was
0: in 45 was the last time they went to the world series before uh 2016 so just like six seven years at seven eight years after they started flying the flags they went to the world series and then had to fly the l after that last world series game because they didn't win that one and it would be till 2016 that they would be able to raise a w on the last
1: baseball game of the season that's pretty awesome i uh yeah, that I think social media being around definitely helped move that uh, tradition around a lot more because I really oh, didn't yeah. know about it until within the last ten years. Well, yeah,
0: you see them at the games too if you watch them. Everybody when the ninth inning when the ninth inning ends if there's a W, everybody seems to pull these flags out. I don't know where to grab them. <laughs> they have them all. I mean, their, flags are not something that stick in your pocket usually, but uh, you know they'd have them out there. So that's a good one. That was a fun fact. I have another little one about baseball since we were on baseball, Gee. and that's just that. Have you ever wondered why managers in baseball wear uniforms? Now, Terry, you probably know the answer to this because you're you're a huge baseball guy. I actually, don't. It's. I thought it was something more specific, more, more you know, uh, interesting. It's because for the longest time
1: the baseball manager play in the game. was a player. Yeah. It was a player. They called him a captain. Yeah, like Rogers Hornsby is one of the most famous uh, Cardinals players from the, like the 1920s, and he was a player manager. So, yeah, he was in charge of the team, and he made the decisions too. I mean, that was going to be my guess, was that they used to play, but obviously they don't anymore.
0: And it just stuck, and they're actually – and because, too, also some of the thinking is, is that um, the baseball field between the dugout and the – the actual field itself is just not, like, conducive to formal wear. Because, like, basketball coaches will mostly wear suits. Yep. Um, there are a few exceptions, but for the majority of basketball coaches, they wear suits. NFL coaches used to wear suits. Now that's changed more to, like, team apparel. And polos and uh, Belichick yeah, so that, wears a vest. and The hoodie, hoodie and, and everything yeah. like that, too. So... It, it, but it, no, nobody's as formal as basketball coaches. But baseball coaches, even though there are currently no uh, baseball managers who are manager players, I think the last one was Pete Rose, wasn't it? That's right. Pete Rose, yeah. He was the last one who filled both roles. And there's likely that we would never see anything like that again because of how, you know data-driven and in-depth and in depth, all sports have become. You have to have somebody who's above. And also, logistically aside, for all the deep root uh, responsibilities you would have as a manager to be able to focus on your playing and focusing on your managing would be hard. But also, how do you make the call to bench yourself if you're the manager? Let's say you're going through a slump and you need to take a day off, but your ego's not going to let you yeah. want to do that. It just seems rife
1: with opportunity for you
0: know, (laughs) problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You need an impartial voice in the dugout. Absolutely. All right, Terry, what's next? You got another, you got, you got a bunch for us. I I just
0: blew away two of mine. I don't had four. Okay.
1: They're they're baseball related. Let me just take a quick gander. See if I got any baseball ones that are further down my list, just to make sure keep it in there. Okay. How about this? Throwing back a home run. Okay. So the tradition goes that the away team that is playing in your home stadium, they hit a home run. You hate this team. For me, it would be the Astros uh, or the Brewers and not really the Cubs as much. But if they hit a home run and you're like, ah, dang it, and get mad at it, and tradition is throw that ball back onto the field because you don't want it. Well, that tradition started in Chicago. That's I thought it was just a I was gonna say I was naive. I thought that was just a Chicago tradition. It's not, but it's mostly Chicago. <laughs> okay. It is mostly Chicago. It all started in Chicago where a disgruntled bartender and Chicago Cubs fan threw back a home run ball hit by Hank Aaron in nineteen seventy oh, wow. in Wrigley Field. It turns out he had felt snubbed by Aaron the year before when he caught another home run by the legendary hitter. When he tried to give Aaron the ball, Aaron walked away, apparently trying to get off the field quickly because Cubs fans had been throwing beer at him during the game. Oh, my gosh, Chicago. Come on. <laughs> they weren't much better than Philadelphia back then. They're a little better now. Wow. Yeah, well, Philly did boo Santa
0: Claus. So, I mean, if you want to really take what's going on, Philadelphia Eagles fans booed Santa Claus. They
1: were vicious over in Philly. They hate everything. <laughs> Brotherly of my foot.
0: Oh. Chicago, you got to do better, Chicago. Ugh. I mean, we still have that Steve Bartman black eye smear on Chicago sports fanhood, and now I'm finding out we have other ones hidden in the closet too. Right. <laughs> All
1: right. It's disheartening, Terry. <laughs> I got one more baseball one, then we'll move on to some other sports. Uh, okay. The rally cap, yes. The rally cap as a good luck talisman is said to have made its first appearance in the major leagues during the 1977 and 1978 Texas Rangers seasons when the team finished second in their division with the rally cap being employed in several of their come from behind victories. And of course, explain to our listeners who may not know. What exactly is a rally cap? A rally cap is when you take your ball cap and you turn it inside out and wear it that way. And I'm going to tell you something. 2011, Game 6 of the World Series, when the Cardinals scored in the 8th, ninth, 10th, and 11th innings to win the game against the Texas Rangers in just absolutely phenomenal, dramatic fashion. This guy sitting right here had a rally cap on the whole way. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, that's why
1: they. Won, and I have Harry. a picture of my hands and cheering in my little tiny apartment, just head over heels. It was so cool. I was, yeah, that was the best World Series games I've ever, ever seen. Best game <laughs> I've ever seen. It was just so filled with drama because it was so close to being over so many times. I'm, I'm, my, right. I'm up here. I'm down here. I'm up and down for four straight innings and just about ready to lose my mind. And yeah. It's exactly the same way I felt in 2016 in uh, Game oh, 7. Oh, but superstition yeah, takes so. over, and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to turn
0: this inside out, <laughs> we're going to do this. I didn't have a hat on to turn inside out. Otherwise, I would have.
1: <laughs> uh, we did that, actually, in our high school baseball games, too, when we were from behind. And we, we came okay. back a couple times, and then uh, we did it during the, our uh, regionals and sectionals, and it was fun.
0: All right, so here's here's a more esoteric question along these lines in regards to this. You're an intelligent man, mm. <laughs> yeah, I believe you are. What's the psychological motivation that could be that would explain something like a rally cap?
1: It's all superstition, man, and it's all it is. And psychologically, it's like. Psych- I'm doing this. Everybody else is doing this. It's like it's going to send some good vibes their way. You know, you're, you're thinking, I, I'm sending good vibes. I've got my rally cap turned around here. Uh, it is, it's something to change it up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, remember Tin Cup? And his rant? Yeah. When he, yeah. He's he got the yips. He can't hit the ball anywhere. He's hitting it left, right. He can't hit the ball straight. Can't even hit it off the tee. And his caddy, what does he say to him? He says, uh, turn your hat around. Uh Take everything out of one pocket and put it in the other pocket. He's like, Why am I doing all this stupid crap? He's like, and (laughs) he's like, Just hit. And then he goes up here all irritated that he just did that and he hits the ball perfectly straight. He's like, Oh, what the (laughs) hell happened? You were in your head and doing something to distract you, something crazy, something different. And you look over and see a team full of guys with rally caps on. I mean, you might look at them and just all right, let's do this and get their head right. I don't know. That's actually not a bad explanation for it from the player's perspective
0: because it is just it takes you and gives you something else to focus on Yeah, and you're able to distract yourself from everything that was, you know, stressing you out before. It's funnier if you try to explain it from a fan's perspective because I am not above that. I consider myself to be an intelligent man. And there are times when I've done things in relation to sports where I'm like, I'm not doing that because, you know, you know, you don't. You, you, I don't want to bring him bad luck. Uh, I'm going to wear the jersey on game day because I want to help the team out. And uh, there's the rational part of my brain is like, "What are you doing, moron?" And the other red part of my brain is like, "Shut up! Or are you going to get beat up like you did last week?" So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I like I said, I've done it. I love it. I don't care that I looked weird. It was fun for me, and I would done it again in a heartbeat. So, all right. So, let's see. What else we got here? I'm going to send you this picture while we're talking about it. I actually found it. Um, but, yeah, it's so stupid. You're, you're going to crack up. <laughs> all right. I'm here it comes. So, what are we, are
0: we done? Is that all we've got in baseball? That's all, that's all
1: we got in baseball. Uh, I'm going to move on to football for our next one. Okay. And, well, I guess it's kind of baseball as well. So... You come through yet? Hold on, yeah, just now, I did. <laughs> so it, let me open it up here. There. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that yeah, that's I right. was pure emotion that night, dude. I I was. I wish I was at that. Not game. only did
0: Terry sent has sent me the picture that he was talking about. He's wearing a radiology T-shirt, and he has his his rally cap on. Not only does he have a rally cap on, it's also backwards. Yep. So he's double rallying it. <laughs> you know it, and uh, yeah, arms raised in triumph, face mouth open in a in a warrior's cry of victory. You darn and, right. Uh, <laughs> and what appears to be a a picture of Bush Stadium behind. You. That's right. It was. I I still have that. <laughs> I was assuming it wasn't Wrigley Field. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was the uh, Or the Astrodome. <laughs> that's funny. That that picture of Bush Stadium on the wall is the last day of their uh, run in the old Bush Stadium. That very last regular okay. season game. Alright. Well, yes, yeah, very nice. Very nice, Terry.
0: You look so young there. Yeah,
1: now I got full head of gray hair, but you can't see my hair in that picture. It's okay. No. Alright. Moving on. Okay We uh we're gonna talk about the Tomahawk Chop. Oh, the Atlanta Braves. Well, see, well, that's, I that's Braves. where I go when I hear Tomahawk Chop. That's where I instantly go. However, it was invented by Florida State University marching chiefs around 1984 that makes as the chant to unite the fans to support their team. The chop has also been adapted by the Kansas City Chiefs and the Atlanta Braves. With the Chiefs doing it since 1990 and the Braves since 1991, The Braves even sell a foam tomahawk with the Braves logo on it. And traditions like this are obviously going to stir up some controversy. Now, did Cleveland ever do the chomp when they were the Indians? If they did, I didn't know about it. Okay. Uh, Native Americans find the act demeaning, as it depicts a former practice of scalping. The National Congress of American Indians have had talks with all these teams and have been pushing for a rebranding to try and eliminate what they see as an offensive act. Even Ryan Helsley of the St. Louis Cardinals, who is a member of the Cherokee Nation, has expressed his disapproval of the use of the chop. He was quoted as saying that the act depicts Native Americans as a kind of caveman type uh, who aren't intellectual. What are your thoughts?
0: Okay. Now, here's where my thoughts have morphed and changed a little bit. And like everybody else, sometimes my opinions change or they'll develop or evolve in a certain way um i was i'm on board with i'm not firmly on either side i was on board with changing the washington redskins name simply because redskin was simply an obvious slur yeah you wouldn't get away with calling somebody the baltimore n-word yeah you know, or the, you know, it just it just wouldn't happen. And I think that because it was obviously a slur, I was in favor of them, uh, the, the the movement to change that name. With the Cleveland Indians, I was not as much in favor well, of you, changing that you gotta name. you got to keep
1: in mind, Indians wasn't even, isn't even a Native American term. That came from Europe. Right,
0: but actually, and, and the argument against that though is that they do use that term now. The Council of Indian yeah, Affairs that's what um, I on here. reservations, yeah. it's yeah, it's a word that's used. So I don't think that that's any more offensive than the Notre Dame Fighting mm-hmm. Irish, um, or the you know whatever. I, I can't think of you know the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, that sort of thing. These are an, it's an actual accepted name for uh, a group of people who. Now, I mean, you don't see people getting upset about Vikings or about fighting Irish, obviously because there may not have been the same level of oppression or uh, mistreatment as Native Americans have faced historically. But at the same time, you don't get to disown the term Indian. No. Um, it's not being used as a slur. And you don't have the only control over history like it doesn't matter that you know it may become your it's it's public history mm. it's a part of American history as well yep so I wasn't as in favor of them Cla naming claim, uh, changing the uh, the name for the Cleveland Indians and also I, but I'm on the fence on something along the lines in a more local area of chief Elenaway. yeah I was gonna ask you what you thought about that. That, I don't know. Look, I think, here, I'm going to out myself as more conservative maybe, but I think cultural appropriation is the stupidest concept that I've, one of the stupidest concepts I've ever heard people get upset about, of being mad that somebody appropriates your culture, or the standard byline that you hear all the time is, my culture is not your costume. Well, you know what? That So what? You don't get to choose. This is a free country. If I want to dress up like, you know, I don't know, an Indian chief for Halloween, I have every right to do that, and I don't care what your opinions are. Um, it gets that that trend gets so bad that back when Black Panther came out, there was movements among some people to say that white parents should not let their white kids go on trick or treating as Black Panther because that would be cultural appropriation. Man, all right. not to mention that the, the movie studio that made it was mostly white people yeah. anyway. It's, but, it's saying
1: that black kids can't go as Thor. Sorry.
0: Yeah, and so makes it's sense. all that stuff just gets so stupid. We're supposed to, you know, anyway, so that's why uh, I'm, but that leads me to answer your question. I'm not offended by a tomahawk chalk. Wow. All right, buddy. Tomahawk chalk. Almost. I can't even say it. Tomahawk. No. Tomahawk. Chop. Tomahawk chop.
1: There, there you we go. go. Wow.
0: You know, I, I'm a public speaker. It's what I do. <laughs> And I just, I have these problems with these words. I have some difficulty at times (laughs) with pronouncing words. And, uh, Atlanta. But I'm not offended by the chop because, for one thing, if you're saying it it represents, you know, Native Americans in a negative light because it represents, uh, scalping, for one thing, that chopping motion in no way resembles the motion needed to scalp. And the point is, if it is referencing scalping, you were the ones doing the scalping. You don't get to complain if somebody talks about it later. Yeah,
1: I think it's I think so. it's uh, a little overblown there, I'm blown out of proportion. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when I first saw the chop, and that was when the Braves started really going strong in the nineties under Bobby Cox and that Tom Glavin, okay. and, uh, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, David Justice, uh, Fred McGriff, and they had a lot of good guys. Andrew Jones, they were they were a good team, and Chipper Jones, but the I, I thought it was really cool at first then came the 1996 NLCS the cardinals had gone up 3 games to 1 on the Braves in the 1996 NLCS and then proceeded to lose the next game like 15 to nothing to the Braves and then the game after that i think they lost by one like 2 to 1 or something and then the game after that they lost like 15 to 1 so it's really personal. I, I did. I didn't care for it for a while after that because I had to sit there and watch my ball game here and hear "oh," and I'm like, "oh my gosh." You know, it is
0: interesting because I had assumed it started with the Braves, uh, and but when you said it was Florida State, that makes perfect perfect sense because the Seminoles. The, the Seminole Indian tribe has actually yeah. okayed the use of that imagery for Florida State Other University. Other tribes
1: don't care for it, but Seminoles are on board for it. So as long as yep. they are, keep it going. They have a special tradition in the beginning of the games where they got a guy who comes out and throws a spear into the ground or something. And they It's really, from what I've heard, it's respectful and the place goes crazy. And it's just, yeah, really good right.
0: fans. And like I said, going back to the beginning with the Redskins, it was an obviously, I think that was an easy choice. But the real crime and the real tragedy and all of that is the fact that they went with Washington Commanders as the name of the football Washington team. Washington Commanders?
1: Cleveland Guardians? Come on, guys. Yeah. You, you're you're Who's better picking than this. these up? You're better than this. It could have been anything else. I like the idea of the
0: Washington Red Tails because it gave some a shout-out to a heritage of... Uh, uh, heroes from the World War II era that were black. And I thought that would have been a great one. It kept, you know, you, have, you go from red skins to red tails. Um, you still get to keep. Although I will say this, I do think the new uniforms for Washington are
1: pretty awesome. I really like them. Uh, they're not too bad. But to be honest, I think the Delaware Fighting Blue Hens is a cooler name. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right, man.
0: Anything other than commanders, because you know what's make fun? If Bill Simmons, on his podcast, the him and, his, and Cousin Sal, I like to listen to them when they do their guest aligns for each week of the NFL. They just call them the commies. <laughs> the Washington commies.
1: That's <laughs> so, perfect. Yeah. All right, let's get another one, Terry. All right, this is common one everybody's heard of, the hat trick. Yes. All right. Explain the hat trick. The hat trick.
0: Because I've always wondered why they call it a hat. The hat
1: trick, if, for anybody that doesn't know, is common in mainly hockey and soccer, where somebody scores three goals. Well, the term first appeared in 1858 in a cricket game to describe H.H. Stevenson taking three wickets with three consecutive deliveries. Fans held a collection for Stevenson and presented him with a hat bought with the proceeds. The term was used in print for the first time in 1865 in the Kelmsford Chronicle. The term was eventually adopted by many other sports, including hockey, soccer, Formula One racing, rugby, and water polo. Hockey fans have been throwing hats onto the ice to celebrate a player scoring three goals in a game since 1950s. Here's
0: a question, and we'll get to the rest of the stuff too because I think it's cool, but... Do those fans get those hats back?
1: I don't think so. So you wear a hat to the game, and you throw it on the ice, and that's just it. It's gone forever. You better be wearing a throwaway hat or something, or have one just tucked in your pocket. That's terrible. Uh, And Detroit also has a tradition, too, the Red Wings. If they they win eight in a row or something, they'll throw octopuses out on the ice. (laughs) Jeez. I'm surprised that one's still going because with those animal rights activists... Octopus I'm sure they're probably playing, throwing plastic ones out there, rubber ones, yeah. ones, but I. All I think, I, the more fun I, I the think they ones. have thrown the real ones plenty of times, so <laughs> I, I can't speak to that for sure. Well, yeah, so the
0: hat trick, man. That's a. Uh, it's very sports specific, specific, but you do see him kind of worming in. Like I'll hear like baseball announcers if a guy gets his third hit of the game. Oh, he got the hat trick. He doesn't have the same level of. Uh, uh, gravitas that it has for sports where
1: three goals is actually a huge yeah, deal. Absolutely, Soccer, especially. Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's the origin of the hat trick. Because <laughs> they're collecting uh, well, money for know. a guy on the team. <laughs> in a hat. <laughs> and presented it to
0: him. I like, they, I like that they chose for him, that they collected money and decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to buy him a hat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're going to buy him a hat and give it to him. Put it all in a hat. That's funny. Yeah. All right, let's get another one, Terry. All right. Another uh, famous one from the golf world, the Green Jacket from winning the Masters, the most prestigious golf tournament probably in the world. It's a big deal to play in the Masters, and the winner is awarded a Green Jacket at the end, and it's a huge honor to be able to put that thing on. Uh, And this is from todaysgolf.com. The idea of a member's jacket was the brainchild of the great Bobby Jones. Born out of an open, winning trip to Royal Liverpool in 1927, Jones was impressed by the red hunting jacket worn by former captains of the club. Not only did it look smart, it offered a type of gravitas he felt American golf lacked. So when Augusta National opened in January 1933, Jones floated the idea to business partner Clifford Roberts. The only issue was the color red, yellow, and even Georgia peach were all considered but quickly dismissed. Then while out walking, Roberts' eye was taken by the leaves underpinning the many azalea bushes found on the former Fruitland nursery site. Known as Verdant Green, the choice was made and a legend was born. Four years later, in 1937, Roberts decreed that every member attending the master should wear his green jacket so that visitors could pick them out from the crowd and ask them for directions. (laughs) (laughs) Unsurprisingly, the idea of wearing a pure wool jacket in 90-degree heat met a lukewarm reception. But after a lightweight version was introduced in 1938, the idea stuck and endures to this day. The first professional to win... Keep in mind, this was not a... This is just uh, club at the time. The first professional to win one was Sam Snead in 1949. And with more rules than a Buckingham Palace tea party, only first-time winners are allowed to remove it from club grounds and then only for the first 12 months. After a year, each jacket is kept permanently in the champion's locker room and only worn during Masters Week, strictly within the confines of Augusta National. In a recent change, however, winners are now presented with a replica jack- jacket they may keep. You'd think such a coveted piece of outerwear would carry quite a high price tag, but each jacket runs for about $250. bucks. I don't understand why they don't let the guys keep it. That's just their tradition. And now, I did uh, read that some guys weird. did take it and refuse to bring it back, so there's a couple of them out there. Uh, Jack Nicholas currently holds a record for most green jackets at 6. Tiger Woods right behind him with 5. Think Tiger gets another one before he's I don't done? think so. Dude's like, well. I mean, Phil Mickelson won a major at 50. It's not out of the rumble possibility, but the, Tiger Woods is gimping around now with a bunch of hardware in his leg. Yeah, he's got he had surgery on his back, his rolled leg. Old as SUV. Yeah, <laughs> he he's lucky he can get through uh, a couple of rounds of golf but I remember when he qualified for, I think it was a Masters, and he did well enough to make it to the next round. like, yeah, he may have made it done well the first day, but that dude was walking with a limp most of the time. He ain't making it four days and hitting that ball well. So, all right. He's so much better at golf than I'll ever be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will say that I shot a cool twenty five or so over par at the John Deere course, the deer run. Terry, I would have stopped keeping score if it had been up there with if I'd have been up there with you. Yeah. We well, a couple of us that went up there did stop keeping score. <laughs> so <laughs> it's okay. I'll just be playing the hole, enjoying the All scenery. Right. All right. Well I've said several. Why don't you uh,
0: drop us another one? Yes, I've got another four. That's uh I have one that is Uh, primarily football-related, but it's also kind of morphed a little bit into basketball, and this doesn't apply to hockey or soccer very often, but that is the halftime show. Okay. The halftime show is a traditional element in American and Canadian football during the interval between the second and third quarters. At high school and most college games, the school bands of the two competing teams perform at halftime, off-time. The cheerleaders or dance team will perform – other activities also may take, may take place in these very, wide, very wildly. Until sometime in the urte, early oh man, sometime in the early nineteen eighties, these shows were typically included as part of the broadcast if the game was televised. Since that time, it has become traditional for TV networks to devote the halftime to roundup of other game scores. Many historians believe halftime shows originated with the Oorang Indians of the early National Football Oorang? League. Oorang? Oorang. O-O-R-A-N-G. Right. <laughs> the Oorang Indians of the early National Football League. The team was a marketing ploy by Walter Lingo to sell and promote his Airedales. <laughs> the dog? Um, I, I'm going to look because...
1: <laughs> Airedales I, are dogs.
0: Okay, it's got to be because the other. I just clicked on the on the hyperlink and it, it was like an Airedale to a city or so. It's got to be dogs. So, uh, um, let me see. I lost my spot here. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. So I completely a lost half-time my spot. show
1: to promote selling dogs.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a In addition to promote additional playing football, the Indians would provide various forms of entertainment, including exhibiting the dogs, players demonstrating their prowess, and dancing and demonstrations of native culture. Although the halftime show was in part designed to bring an additional draw to mask the fact that the Indians did not put much effort into the actual game, (laughs) his halftime show was mostly the same from game to game, and the novelty wore off after two years. Modern halftime shows, consider of bands, routines, uh, and anything you can think of at this point. And now at the Super Bowl, it's become a major major cultural event and it's always a a world known artist at this time but if you remember right as recently as 1985 uh the super bowl halftime was still like ridiculously dumb like super bowl 2020 the halftime for the 85 bears was something called up with people which is a mixture of a choir and a marching band that was supposed to be you know, their mission was they were going to lift all the people of the earth up with their voices of hope. And it was so, <laughs> so stupid and awful. And you compare it to seeing somebody like Prince or Michael Jackson or Lady Gaga who have done these, you know, halftime shows that have been incredible. Uh, and to think that just, you know, less than 40 years ago, up with people was the halftime attraction. Ah, uh, Yikes. Do you have a favorite halftime experience, Terry? Do you have a favorite one that you saw? Well, obviously
1: off? the most memorable being the Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. <laughs> How do you forget <laughs> that? That was that didn't go away and still hasn't gone
0: away. Uh, I was working that Sunday. I was managing a Texas Roadhouse in Decatur, Illinois, and I had pulled the short straw and had to work that night. And I remember watching it on TV and mean, like, oh, well, that was weird. It uh, looks like something – didn't happen right there. And I had no idea how big it was
1: going to yep. get. Uh, I like the one. I mean, they went from that straight to like Paul McCartney the next year. And it was actually solid. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, what else? Who else was really good? I, I thought the Katy Perry one was actually surprisingly enjoyable. Uh, let's see. Now, those are the only, I liked- only ones I can remember. Of
0: the recent ones, there's really been only one that I think really missed for me, and that was The weekend. Yeah. Uh, I did not enjoy that one at all. I've liked all the other ones. The uh, Rolling Stones and 06 were good. I mean, I liked that. We've got, apparently, this is, a, this is an aside, Terry, but apparently they've caught a very important criminal on my street. Really? Uh, there's like three different cruisers out there. I think I hear dogs. Oh, <laughs> so, boy. Uh, Somebody's about to have a very bad night in Kiwani. Oh, oh boy.
1: <laughs> Yikes.
0: Uh but yeah, the Shakira and JLo one I enjoyed uh, immensely. Uh but I think Prince. Of the rec- my
1: recent memory, Prince is probably my Yeah, favorite. you know how I feel about Prince. So. Yeah, so I, I probably like tuned Prince. into something else that, during the halftime show, like the bathroom or something. But uh, I gotta tell you too that uh the Dr. Dre, Snoop. And Eminem, 50
0: Cent, and uh, who, was one, who, who was the lady? It
1: wasn't the... Missy Elliott, wasn't I can't it? think of her name now.
0: No. Uh, uh-huh. I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but that that one, the most recent one, I thought that one was
1: really good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I feel like I they, it could have been better, but I I, I, I enjoyed it. But, uh, it could been It could have been longer. I wanted it to be so much longer. I think longer. they could have done it differently and it would have been cooler, but eh. I wanted all old school rap, nothing new. <laughs> okay,
0: who is it that's, that's uh, agreed to do it now for the next one? Did you Did you no hear? Idea. I thought I heard who it was, and now I can't remember
1: what they said. Justice, Justice Beaver. No, he's a cramp, he's a crime no. fighting beaver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first name I heard was Taylor Swift. I'm like, I won't watch that one because Taylor Swift just annoys the crap out of me. Yep. But uh, do you remember the Madonna yeah. one? Yeah, that was weird. I, I, that
1: yeah. was 10 years ago. Anyway,
0: okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on, Terry. All right. I'm trying not to be distracted
1: by the flashing blue and red lights outside my Ooh, window. Pretty lights. Yes. All right. Uh, I got mascots for my next origin. Okay. Uh, this is from the International University Sports Organization. The word this is going to yeah just get real old and probably annoying maybe. The word mascot comes from the French term mascotte, meaning lucky charm. The word was I'm already it, annoyed. The word was first recorded in 1867 and popularized by the opera La Mascotte performed in December 1880. It then entered the English language in 1881. The French word comes from the modern Provençal mascato, meaning piece of witchcraft, charm, amulet. A uh, feminine diminutive of masco meaning witch the word probably has its origin in late latin masca in olden days the word mascot was associated with inanimate objects such as a lock of hair or the figurehead on a sailing ship but from the start of the 19th century and up to the present days the term is most often linked to a good luck animal it was It was sports organizations that started to use animals as mascots to provide some extra entertainment for spectators. At first, sports teams brought along real live animals to the games. Most of these animals were predators expected to roar and strike fear into the hearts of the opponents. The transformation of live animals and two-dimensional fantasy mascots into the modern three-dimensional variety was triggered by the invention of the Muppets in the late 1960s. These larger-than-life puppets represented a new medium in mascot development and utility, cute and touchable corporate ambassadors. Corporate companies also realized that mascots could offer great potential outside sports fields. Looking around right. in our daily environment, one can spot several examples. The adoption of Muppet-like mascots proved to be overwhelming success in terms of public relations and marketing. This success quickly encouraged other corporate and sports entities to create their own mascots, which also brought them success. As a result, mascots are now considered a must-have marketing and public relations tool by many organizations. Do you have a favorite or a least
0: favorite mascot? Redbird. Redbird. Bird? That's the Cardinals yeah, mascot? Redbird. <laughs> oh. I can't remember. The Cubs have one now, too, and I don't remember what the name Benny, it. is. It Benny Park the Bear. Is he no Benny, uh,
1: Benny the Cub
0: huh? I thought it was Clark or, or Clark, Addison ben. I don't remember now
1: uh, I've never really cared oh, But about you know ben what Scott. you're right what was that Clark Clark the Cub Clark.
0: is that it okay I knew it was either Clark or Addison because it's at the corner of Wrigley Field's at the corner of Clark and
1: Addison That's oh yeah it's where Clark okay you find it yeah Clark yeah. okay yeah, I totally forgot. The
0: one I think that annoys me more than any other, because I think he receives way more publicity than he probably is, the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, mascot. What is it? The alien looking yeah, guy. That Phil- fi- is it. The, the Philly. It's called park? the Philly fanatic. The Philly
1: fanatic. That's right. Yeah, that's probably. I guess if I had to pick one that annoys me the most. That the best part want. is when Tommy Lasorda was fighting Philly, the Philly fanatic back in the day. <laughs> he got mad because he was being annoying and lost his temper on him. <laughs> Uh Do you see what they do in Milwaukee
0: uh, with the hot dog races? The sausage races, yes. The sausage races, yeah, yes. I've, yeah. I've witnessed so it. It's that... actually
1: really entertaining. It would be fun to watch. That's a good use because of Because everybody picks their, who they think they're going to win, and then you cheer for number two to go and uh, win the race, and they're sitting there just all dump truck looking, running around the field. <laughs> <laughs> it always seems to be the ones that I've ever caught on TV.
0: They always have some kind of very elaborate, uh, contrived shenanigans, yeah. uh, you know, obvious cheating or something. Somebody tried to get one over. So it's a good fun. It's good, for, you know, you're out there, especially with baseball, there's some downtime. So stuff like that's fun to. To have to
1: uh, keep people in, in involved in what's going on. I think on. it's the Washington Nationals. I could be wrong. That have uh, beat the freeze. I think it, something like a uh, and this guy looks like um, the freeze guy from Incredibles. I can't played by Samuel Jack. Oh, Fro-Zone. frozen! It looks like frozen. Frozen. And this dude is like Olympic worthy runner. And everybody, they get this fan from the audience, and he gets like a 5, 10-second head start, and he starts from one foul line. He's got to run all the way to the other foul line and okay, along the warning track. And he gets his head start, and then they start running, and then that dude, once that head start's over, he takes off, and he is full-on sprinting. And there's been a couple guys that have beaten him, but not hardly anybody ever uh, gets the best of him. Wow. Kind of fun. Just another fun thing to add to the game. Like you said, the sausage races randomly, this guy. So But yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there. Um Benny the Bull, that's who I'm thinking of. Benny the
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Benny That's
1: what I'm thinking of.
0: Um, I think uh I think they work better in baseball and basketball, but football. There's not really a spot
1: for them to gather everybody's attention because it's too big of a field. There's too much going on. In high school sports, I think it's awesome because it's a small crowd. They're sitting there doing backflips and stuff with the cheerleaders and getting the crowd going. I like that at high school level. But, yeah, once you're getting up to the humongous stadiums, they just kind of blend in and they don't really grab that attention like they would at a high school game. But, yeah, baseball is easy because – I mean, there's a lot of downtime in baseball, so like, yeah, when sure. we go to a game, every other inning, Fred Bird's up on the uh, dugout with a couple uh, Cardinal girls with a giant slingshot launching t-shirts into the air, you know, and Fred Bird goes traveling around the crowd and throughout the stadium, and it's funny, he eats their head or whatever, <laughs> and so lots of fun stuff, and they just... mascots are just fun. I like them. They're cool. I have no problem with them either.
0: Yeah. Other than the Philly Fanatic. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why
1: I have this animosity towards the Philly Fanatic. I just Yeah, well, the Marlin ones are pretty cool. That big Marlin they got down there. I like that. All right. Well, let's get another one, Terry. All right. Those were my big ones. I have gotten those out of the way. I got a lot of smaller ones here. Okay. I got two more that I had come up with, too. So All right. Well, how about... Gentlemen, start your engines. Okay. In 1953, Wilbur Shaw first gave the starting call of gentlemen, start your engines. Some variation of this call has been used every year since then, with the opening periodically changing to lady or gentlemen, lady and gentlemen, or ladies and gentlemen for the years when female drivers are competing. So it's they've been nice. saying that for almost 70 years now. That is a cool
0: uh, I always that's one thing I regret. Uh, when I was in the army, I became a fan of racing because we would, um, yeah, overextend ourselves all weekend, and by the time Sunday came around, we were a little wore out, and all we had the energy to do was to either watch fishing shows or watch NASCAR. And uh, so I started watching NASCAR and became a huge Dale Earnhardt mm-hmm. fan. And just I liked the way he drove, his whole attitude yeah. and. The whole or t- intimidator motif, yeah. and so after he died, I kind of gave up on uh, watching racing because it wasn't the same for me after he had gone. But I had we were I was planning my parent my grandparents lived in Alabama, and it was actually that was you know, I was planning on going down to see him the Talladega yeah. race. Yeah, and oh, I'm sorry, never mind. Not that there was they just opened up the track in Illinois and Juliet. Uh, Juliet. That's right, because I tried to go down to Talladega and couldn't get tickets when I was in the army. And uh, but no, it was when they opened up the, the speedway up here, he was gonna be up there that year, and he he died in Daytona in the first race of the year. And so I never got to go, I never went to a race. I always wanted to be there because on TV, this doesn't do it justice. They say, Gentlemen, start your ends, and then just all start revving and just
1: roar. it's supposed to be incredible to experience in yeah. person. Uh, Sarah's dad and her grandpa were huge Indy 500 fans. They would go okay. to the Indy 500 almost every single year and her dad, when I first started dating her, like he went and he brought took her with her first couple of to- years when it was just those two, they'd go over there. And then he kept going with uh, her brother last for several years and then a couple of years ago took Ruby and Sarah and her brother. All to see the time trials because they, okay. they really want to be around the Indy 500 crowd with a five-year-old, five or six-year-old. Yeah, that's true. Seven, I don't know. That's a good call. But uh, yeah, she call. had. They had fun. It was just insane how it's just like you blink and you miss the car because they're coming around so fast. And those Indy carts, it's nuts. But uh, yeah, so their family really. Uh, appreciates a lot of the history that goes into the Indy 500. And speaking of that, the winner of the Indy 500 always drinks what? A glass of milk. Every year. Did you know that? I don't know that I knew that before you would have mentioned it to me. Every year, the winner of the Indy 500 always celebrates with a a big old, like one of those old milk jugs, of milk. And... Louis Meyer began the hollow tradition of milk drinking after his second Indy five hundred win in nineteen thirty three. He sipped from a glass of milk saying his mother had told him a glass of buttermilk was the best thing to drink on a hot day. After his Oh my yeah, gosh, seriously nineteen thirty three. After his third win in nineteen thirty six, Meyer abandoned all sense of decorum. He took a swig of milk straight from the bottle, likely disgusting everyone there rather than inspiring awe. A photographer snapped a picture of Meyer drinking said milk, and it spawned a tradition like no other. And the tradition completely fully took over in 1956. So a lot of people did it after that, but it wasn't every year. But every year since, uh, racers are asked before the race if they prefer 2%, 1%, or skim.
0: (laughs) Uh, I wonder which one of this is Kurt Angle.
1: Uh, I hope 2%, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I got a couple more for you, too, Terry. Me. This one kind of crosses several sports. Oddly enough, not baseball, but probably for good reasons. But And uh, it's mostly football and basketball, but that is cheerleading. Okay. The history of cheerleading is closely intertwined with the history of football in the Ivy League colleges of the U.S. in the late 1800s. Uh, Often called the second industrial revolution during this time, an increasing number of people moved to cities to find work as living standards improved. Even working class people started to have a bit of free time and a bit of money to spend. Spectator sports like football emerged to fill the new demand for entertainment. The first official cheerleader, Johnny Campbell, stepped into his role in 1898. He was a medical student he assembled a group that took the field and led the crowd in a chant at a football game. The first cheer squad had six members, and they electrified the crowd. <laughs> Later, some even said that the crowd's cheers helped spur their team, the Minnesota Gophers, to victory. Competing teams started copying Campbell, and cheer was born. By the early 1900s, all male cheerleading programs had popped up at schools across the United States Women began to join cheerleading squads in the 20s and 30s as universities changed their restrictive policies around gender. It was only during World War II that cheer became dominated by women as men were drafted to fight the Axis powers. By the 60s and 70s, cheerleading had been thoroughly feminized, and 95% of cheerleaders were then women. All right. So, World War II. The reason we have female cheerleaders is mostly because of World War II.
1: I would have never. Once guessed you that. started off with saying there are male cheerleaders, I would I, my mind instantly went to. I bet it was the war that turned it around. <laughs> Once you start, you had to start yeah, I, with that well, first. So,
0: well, yeah. When I read it, I never would have thought that you know that, that was why. I just I would have, I naturally kind of assumed it was girls all the time, but uh, no, it, was, it started by guys, and. No, it doesn't say if that guy, the first one, uh, was all, all men, but I would assume it was because there weren't as many women in college back at that time.
1: I feel like there's a trend of men getting back into cheerleading more now and trying to destigmatize when, the fact that it has to be a woman out there doing it. So,
0: Right. I noticed Uh, um, we've gone up to a couple of Kiwani football games, and they have boy cheerleaders on yeah the squads. and that's cool because i mean and not just guys that are catching girls in the pyramids they're
1: actually doing the dances and everything else yeah. too and i tell you what some of these uh guys i've known throughout the years in high school or wherever they could pump up a crowd really well and so it's like right. yeah, it shouldn't just be limited to uh what gender you were born
0: yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it's definitely starting to branch out, but it has. I grew up predominantly, and you as well. Where cheerleaders were always girls—that was mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the the main way it went down. Um, officially, like in uniform. But there's always at any sporting event, you're going to have hear lots of different voices cheering on or trying to pump up you know, Yeah. You know, my dad used to go to our football games and yell so loud all the time that my mom could hear him on the radio when she was uh, listening to the radio while she was at work. And uh, so there's always been that going on where you have people on their own attempting to hype up the crowd, especially with high school sports. You've always got that student section going yep. crazy. Anybody and everybody is trying to get the, the crowd riled yeah, I remember up. sitting by your dad,
1: oh, that was a pitiful call, pitiful call.
0: That's right. That was his phrase. That was a pitiful call. Uh, some of that carried over to me. I remember one game uh, Joey was playing, and the refs were – it seemed to be really rough on us. <laughs> and the one ref had dropped something, and the whole procession, both teams, and the other rest were all the way down at the other end of the field. And this poor ref is, had to run back pick it up, and Rebecca and I just started giving it to him. You better hurry up, man. They're leaving you behind. <laughs> <laughs> you better get up there. You can't, the, the, those flags aren't going to throw themselves. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> had fun with that. Good times.
0: The last one that I have uh is the Gatorade shower. I love the Gatorade shower. Absolutely. I love it because I get to watch it on TV. It is mostly a football. I don't know if any other sports I've never seen other sports do the Gatorade shower. I've seen
1: them do it in baseball, but it's not anywhere it's hey, not anywhere okay. near as uh pro, uh used like football is. And it would make more sense in
0: baseball cuz baseball is you know usually over earlier is over earlier in the year and it's not quite as cold in baseball. But can you imagine being Bill Ch- Belichick on a Sunday afternoon in January? There's a foot and a half of snow on the ground. You've been in snow flurries all day, and then you win, and your reward. Is, yeah, you get to go to the Super Bowl, but <laughs> you're going to catch pneumonia before you get there because they're going to dump a bucket of ice-cold
1: Gatorade on your head. Yeah, I can't That would I be awful. That would be a, a terrible. I, my favorite Gatorade dumping moment was Jimmy Johnson for the Cowboys, who had this perfectly combed, just nice-looking hair. He was proud of his hair. Yes. And they dumped that whole thing of Gatorade on him and just roughed up his hair afterwards. That was That was pretty cool, and he had a good time with it.
0: We have a little bit of controversy with the origins of the Gatorade shower. It's disputed. Really? Yes. The tradition began with the New York Giants football team in the mid-'80s, according to several sources. Those sources included Jim Burt of the Giants. He says it began on October 28, 1984, when the Giants beat the Washington Redskins 37-13, to and Burt performed the action on Bill Parcells after being angry over the coach's treatment of him that I was going to
1: say, Parcells probably didn't like that. <laughs> <No. laughs>
0: uh, Burt Bert insisted that Harry Carson dumped the Gatorade on Parcells because Carson was a favorite and would not get in trouble. However, this is disputed because former Chicago Bears defensive tackle Dan Hampton claims he invented the shower also in 1984 when the Bears dunked Mike Ditka upon clinching the NFC Central Division championship chip. The phenomenon gained national attention after the 1986 Giants season when Parcells was doused after 17 victories that season, culminating with Super Bowl 21. Okay. So the Gatorade
1: bath... Uh, has links to the 85 Bears, Terry. And we're back to them. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I, I'm sure anybody could just go watch the video and have the answer. <laughs>
0: um, I think that like there may not have been video NF-
1: of NFL's the... got it somewhere. They got video archives. Yeah. You know those cameras are rolling. So...
0: But yeah, that was the, the origins of the Gatorade shower. Terry, if you had
1: to be... Doused in ice cold Gatorade. What flavor do you wish it? The uh, the blue one, the Arctic blue, I think, the light blue one. Either the, uh, either, the Arctic freeze, yeah, something like Glacier Freeze. I don't. I can't remember the name. Yeah, of them, maybe but either that or the lemon lime. Lemon lime, the yellow one. Yeah, I, I'm assuming I like the orange, but I also like the lemon lime yeah. too. So you want orange Gatorade? I would probably. I changed my mind. I would go lemon lime.
0: Lemon lime. Well, orange because I'm a Bears fan, and I think it would just be matching the team colors. Yeah. So, because of course, if I'm getting doused with Gatorade, it means because I've quarterbacked the Bears to their seventh straight consecutive Super Bowl, and everybody's just so impressed with me that they
1: decide to douse me with Gatorade. <laughs> I do like fruit punch, so I'd be all right with a red bath, cardinal red.
0: That would stain more, wouldn't it? Doesn't the, the, the fruit punch stain more? You just won a
1: championship. More. Who cares? It's true. I can buy a new exactly. shirt. All right, sir. So let's
0: hear some of your other ones that you had in line before we wrap up sports traditions i wish i had a good nfl films voice that would be sweet it'd be like sports traditions (laughs) on a cold day in october i'm sure if you practice hard enough
1: you could do it but my throat gets any scratchier tonight i might be able to pull it (laughs) off all right my next one in here is a playoff beards Uh, Very quick and simple. The practice began with the 1984-85 Detroit Red Wings and has been adopted by many sports teams throughout the years. That's the origin. Came from the Red Wings. Cardinals did it uh, (laughs) in a playoff run back in 2013. They didn't win the World Series, but theirs were mustaches. There was one guy on their team, Brendan Ryan, who looked like he was 12, growing the stupidest, ugliest stash ever. (laughs) Worse than mine, and I have a terrible mustache, so... Uh, Didn't the Red Sox do it, too, with yeah. Johnny yep. Damon? the and Red Sox guys, were very well were known for doing that. And, yeah, Johnny Damon yeah. had a quite a mane growing there around the bottom of his face. Before he sold his soul to go yeah, to the Yankees. Yeah, yes, and made him shave, which is hilarious. Yep. Made him shave and cut his hair. He looked like a completely yeah, speaking different Speaking of cutting hair, Harrison Bader from the Cardinals got traded to the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery back in uh, July. And... Uh Harrison Bader had these long golden locks up there. He don't have them anymore. <laughs> That's still the thing with the Yankees. How long is it? I don't know, but there? it's it's a uh, tradition. That's 2022 now. Yeah. I mean, if they've kept it this long, might as well. Yeah, he uh he hit a home run last night to help him win, so he was injured most of the time they had him. He came back late in the season. So, good for him. <laughs> Because he came back, we don't owe him anything else. I guess was part of the the trade. If he, oh, that works out well then. Yeah. (laughs) All right. How about this one? Goal. Uh, (laughs) The cry has become a. What sport was that for? (laughs) (laughs) The cry has become a symbol of soccer worldwide, but its origin came from Brazil in the nineteen forties. The first broadcaster to scream out "This a sink of gold" was the Brazilian radio announcer Rebelo Junior. So, I don't know. I, Here's
0: a soccer tradition that started to try to re- become a tradition. I think the whole world collectively said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not happening." And that's the vuvuzela. Oh yeah, vuvuzela was that definitely soccer? It might. That was soccer. It was because of the Olympic I think it was the Olympic soccer is when it started when they were in yeah. Mexico or Rio. One of the two, and the vuvuzelas came out, and it was just horrifying sound that you could not escape from. That they never let up. It's like they had, almost like they planned it out to where somebody was hitting those notes on the vuvuzela throughout, throughout the entire match without cease. Have you uh, ever blown into a vuvuzela? Uh, I think at one point they became like we got one of the little cheap ones that came from like Dollar Tree or something like that. I've blown in it's it. Awful. It's It's loud. <laughs> You're like, wow, this is. Uh... Kind of wild, (laughs) right? And I hated it, and I wouldn't watch the matches because it was just like I can't listen to that.
1: Yeah, another one is Ole 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 Ole. Yeah, another (laughs) one you hear. I I shouldn't. I didn't look up the uh, origin of that one. I should have. All right, moving on to a different sport. Back to football. End zone dances. The first dance allegedly occurred against the Houston Oilers in November of nineteen seventy three, and the person who holds this honor is Elmo Wright, who was playing for the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Elmo Elmo
1: Wright. Wright. Never exact, heard. Exactly. But he's the first guy that's been credited with ever doing an end zone dance after a touchdown.
0: You I have heard of though is Icky Wood. And they said this predates Icky Woods, so. It's the one that I remember. It was the first time I remember being a specific dance that a player did that was, you know,
1: their own thing. Yeah. So that uh, was pretty cool. Uh, the, Icky the Icky Shake. shake. I, I still can't get over his fact. His name's Icky. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, let's hope it was a nickname. Uh, here's another uh, famous one that you've heard oh let's get ready to rumble. We've talked about this man on the podcast before. What's his name Michael again? Michael Buffer has been using this trademarked <laughs> catchphrase since 1984, which is a lot further back than I would have thought. Yeah,
0: that seems farther
1: back. He's, yeah, He said absolutely. he drew inspiration from Muhammad Ali, who used to say, I'm so pretty, I'm ready to rumble. Rumble, young man, rumble. So, okay. So that, All right, Michael. So Buffer. that's where he got it from, and dude is just cleaning up with that that catchphrase. So,
0: go on with your bad self, Mister Buffer.
1: All right, this one's kind of dumb, but and a lot of people recognize it the second they hear it. It's the mint julep and the fancy hats at the Kentucky Derby. The mint.
0: All right, now the mint julep is easy to figure out because Kentucky is whiskey country you got Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. Well, Jack Daniels, Tennessee. I'm sorry. We have Jim Beam uh, right there in Kentucky and uh, Maker's Mark there in Kentucky. And so uh, the whiskey one makes sense. But the
1: big hats. Explain the big hats and The the mint julep has been the official drink of the Kentucky Derby since the 1930s. The fancy hats go all the way back to 1875 when the people putting on the Derby were copying the well-dressed spectators at races in England and France. They were very stylish back yeah. then, but faded from popularity. But still, the fancy hats remained a staple at the Derby. Yep.
0: And if you are a lady, you do not want to go to the Kentucky Derby without a fancy hat. You will be ostracized. Oh,
1: I mean, I can't imagine those, sitting next to somebody. You got hats bumping into each other everywhere because they're 14 right, feet wide. Right. And <laughs> they're fun to look at. Uh, <laughs> actually, Sarah and I and my mom took a little... A tour of churchill downs where the kentucky derby's held really okay. and they have a lot of the famous hats over the years that are on display at the back nice. that was, was kind of cool to see that awesome all right this one i told you i was going to do that you weren't thrilled about but the lambo leap the celebration was popularized after Green Bay Packers player Leroy Butler jumped into the Lambeau Field Bleachers after scoring a touchdown from a fumble recovery against the Los Angeles Raiders on December 26, 1993, and has become a Packers tradition ever since.
0: And I'm so glad that other teams are stealing. It. <laughs> Normally I would be like, oh, you can't do that. That belongs to them. You can't, you know, Houston, you can't have a terrible towel. That's Pittsburgh's thing and you know it stop stealing their stuff i hope every team does a lambo leap i hate green Bay. uh there's nothing they should have nothing of theirs should matter i don't want anything i don't want them to have
1: any nice Dude, if i was a pro football player playing against the packers against the packers and i score a touchdown i'm running jumping to the stadium i don't care if I, you're gonna get beer dumped I, on i don't you. care <laughs> I, it's just great i just, i would do it yeah, they too. can beat the crap out of me all they want. I got pads on. I've got a helmet <laughs> on, shoulder pads, right.
0: I'm doing it too. Uh, the disrespect, though, would be so much fun. It'd be like when T.O. was playing for the uh, the 49ers and he caught that pass and he ran out and spiked the ball on the star Ooh, yeah. in Dallas <laughs> Stadium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, like, Moose Johnson or somebody came up and just laid him out. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He he tracked what's going on and ran out and hit him full
1: speed. Love it. Yeah, the Lambo leap. (laughs) All right, next one. Another quick one. The medals that are given out at the Olympics. They have been given out to the winners at the Olympics since the inaugural Olympics took place in 1896 in Athens. However, the first gold medals weren't given out until the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. They were giving out silver medals and an olive branch to the winner back in 1896 and 1900. In 1900, they had rectangular medals, and they weren't round. They've been round ever since. Did you know
0: that Olympic athletes who receive a medal have to pay taxes on the worth of the uh, medal that That they received? That is
1: so stupid. It is a gift. It's a financial increase. It is a gift. Yeah, it's a financial increase. No, it's a it's yep. uh, I earn this. Go away. <laughs> Alright. Uh, last one I have. And it's tailgating. Following the advent of wooden sided station wagons in the nineteen thirties, fans used the rear fold down tailgates as seats or buffet tables. Thus pregame partying was increasingly called tailgating. While some credit Yale sports information director Charlie Loftus it's not clue, clear who, if anyone, coined the term. Huh?
0: How? When? When was it again? Say it again. When, what was the year? Uh, nineteen thirties. Okay. Wow. That seems farther back than I would have guessed. I would have guessed tailgating was a more modern thing. Yeah. Have you ever gone through and tailgated at a at a football not. game, Terry? It's an experience. We went. I've been to. Uh, the only time I ever got to really tailgate was when the Bears were playing in Champaign because they were redoing Soldier Field. I went down for the last game of the season and was tailgating down in the parking lot down there. And the people are so friendly. You just walk by. People are offering you brats, chili, anything. They don't care. You're just hanging, the people are just hanging out and having fun. It was so much fun. Um, and plus, it was a Sunday night football game. So tailgating out, but it was so cold that uh, you wanted to keep eating hot food just to stay warm. <laughs>
1: yeah, I walked by one in St. Louis. It was cool looking, but I had seats in the stadium, so I didn't really do anything out there. But, yeah, it would be fun, I think, to go out there. <clears throat> People have games set up and just tossing the ball around. and yeah. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. So you
0: see all kinds of stuff down there. It's, it's a huge party.
1: Right on. I forgot I did have one more. I didn't look it up. I had to get it real quick. Uh, the National Anthem has an origin in sports as well, too. Okay. Uh, it made it headway ups. during the 1918 World Series when Chicago Cubs faced the Boston Red Sox, and when the Star Spangled Banner played during the seventh inning stretch, a sports tradition was born. That, but they play it before sporting events now.
0: And it's actually one that's coming under fire. There's lots of people who are, who are, well, I guess, maybe not lots. There's a vocal minority of people who are pushing to have that removed from pregame
1: uh, rituals. Why am I not surprised? because people are terrible sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have any more. I liked
0: this I liked this uh this choice, Terry. This was fun going through these sports traditions and finding out where they came from and uh how they got started. I enjoyed it. That's Thank a good you. choice. Next up, Terry. Yes. I checked this time to make sure that what I'm picking is streaming. It is streaming on HBO Max. Yes we're going to visit an unassuming two-story house could be located anywhere in the country any city any town any village but the house always ends up on the same street oh man (laughs) and that's elm street yes we are doing the
1: 1984 a nightmare on elm street oh yes the original I watched that a couple of years back. I got it on DVD behind me so I did It is on HBO Max. Right. I think all of them are on HBO. That's Max. fantastic. Yes, we will yeah, do that. So, it's Halloween season, so it's time for horror movies. We're going
0: to crank out a couple of horror movies, some scary movies, and uh this is the first like of like one of the first ones I remember Aside from I think I saw The Exorcist But this was like the first like pop culture scary movie I remember seeing horror movie wise Was A Nightmare on Elm Street And uh, I saw it young And Freddy was just you know Became a part of the Pop culture yeah. and this is where we meet him Alright And what I contend is probably the only
1: actual scary Nightmare on Elm Street Yeah movie. they uh, got kind of pretty corny Pretty quick Real quick <laughs> Yeah good choice Nightmare
0: on Elm Street 3 is basically a comedy. (laughs) so. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, next week, a nightmare on Elm Street, Terry, one, two. Freddy's coming for you. Oh, yes. So uh, did you have anything else to add? I did not. All right. Well, we want to thank all of our fans for checking in with us and hanging out with us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. For Retro Review with Rob and Terry, I am Rob. And this is Terry. God bless you and good night.